crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> Closer. You think that's good? Closer. Because uh, look. Okay, but play it though. My voice is actually louder than it looks. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I'm always the loudest because you're always like yell and then you talk in a normal voice so it sounds like I have like voice modulation difficulties so I'm always like yelling. I guess it's just a prank that you're pulling on no, me every time. No, it's really, it's real because. It's so loud. <laughs> and in real life, I think I'm loud and everyone's like, what'd you say? You're so quiet. It's like, mm. yeah, Yeah, maybe your ears are sensitive. I think my ears are like messed Take up. Take off your jingles. Oh, yeah. I can hear you jangling. Oh, already? Uh-oh. <laughs> Even like, though you I'm had them tucked in. I'm already short one jingle, so it's, like, not a big deal. Okay? I don't know. I gotta fix my other jingle. You're like a goddamn wind chime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of, Mom wants to get another wind chime for the house, and I'm like... Why? Let's Here? not. Yeah, because the other one rusted out and broke. I'm like, let's... <laughs> no, it's okay. Unless it's, like, a really cool one. Well, I guess you could, like, put it away when she's not here and then bring it out and be like, oh, my God, the chime. Look, that is, like, way too much work. I'm not. That's true. It's like the cuckoo clock after, like, <gasps> three days, you finally tune it out. <laughs> oh, God. And he has to rewind it. First thing, it's like, build a fire. Rewind no. the clock. Undo the, like, curtains on the furniture. No. Nope. Most important thing in the day is Wind winding that the cuckoo damn clock. cuckoo clock. And then getting your coffee. And you have to hear it go through, like, all the hours. <laughs> cuckoo. Cuckoo. Okay. Speaking of cuckoo clock now. Speaking of. Shall we get started? Please. Okay. So I got my information from a WCPO article. I think I'm guessing it's like a news. Some local station. Yeah. By Paula Christian and Hillary Lake. A Dateline um, episode, which I didn't watch. I just read the transcripts, which is lots of fun. By <laughs> Dennis Murphy. A WUSA 9 article by Amber Hunt, and a Springfield News Sun article by Denise G. Callahan, which I don't really use my middle initial for anything anymore. I just kind of, like, drop that off. Well, you do when you're, like, a serial killer, or you think that, you know, there are more Angela Borges out there that you want to... Which I have literally never met another Borge before in my life. I've never met, but I've, like, seen... Oh, this is criminy. You have... Like on, you know, the social media when you type in your name or really? whatever. Really? There are other Borges out there? Yeah. Well, there are some in Chile. Chile. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, but that's beside the point. The Welcome to Crimeny well, before oh. I start my... Welcome to Crimeny, where we tell you fucked up stories. Uh, 
I'm Angela, and, and I'm, I'm going first today. And I'm Matt, and I'm going second today. Okay, so jumping in. Sarah and Ryan Widmer met on a blind date. Sarah was a dental hygienist, and Ryan was a sports planner, which I don't know what that is. Plan sports? Maybe it's like schedule games that like, oh, you uh, there are like three teams that need the soccer field. Okay, right? yeah, you'd have to schedule Maybe. something, yeah. Um, I, mm, I'm sure there's lots of planning and scheduling that goes into sports, I just don't. I think you're right. Like, who gets the court win? Or maybe, like, when games are happening, who plays who during what games and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that's... Ooh. That could make sense. Um, I can't imagine it's just, like, okay, guys, we're planning to play basketball. Do you think he, like, Here's writes out the their ball. little cute little planners? Oh, we're planning to play... <laughs> <laughs> I know you're all in your hockey gear, mm-hmm. but actually... Sorry, if change you of the planners. Oh! <laughs> okay. Sarah's friend, Dana kissed thought that her husband's college roommate and sarah would make a great match and they did ryan was super laid back and really into sports and sarah was super organized and a little type a okay their first date went so well that they decided to go on another i misspelled the word first which is weird oh okay (laughs) that's special well, I took the autocorrect thing off of my computer because mm. I think it's more helpful to know what words I keep spelling wrong, you That's know? smart. Yeah, but then it's also really annoying because I'm like, why didn't you just fix that on your own? <laughs> Stupid computer! <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> so I waffle before, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it like this. Okay. Her friend Dana said that after Ryan asked for another date, uh, Sarah pulled out her little planner and she's like looking through her little black book like, oh, mm. And then I'm like, he was busy like, all these days. you plan, I plan. <laughs> no, oh. but uh, what happened was Ryan act, like took a little peek at the book and there was like nothing in there. So she was just <laughs> pretending to be like super busy. Mm. Well, you don't want to seem desperate. Right, right. Which I think is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty cute. So their relationship moved pretty fast and soon Ryan was bringing Sarah to meet his mom and his mom loved her, and they got along so well, and, and she got along with the whole family. Like, they wow. all really loved her. That's good. And they were, like, super excited that he met her, and, yeah, they thought that she was really good for him, and that she just, like, had her shit together, and she was, like, a really great person. So in early 2008, they bought a house together. It was a nice four-bedroom in a good neighborhood, which they mentioned, so mm-hmm. I added it. Mm-hmm. And then they sent out wedding invitations a little while later. Sarah had everything planned, of course. of course, and Ryan took ballroom dance lessons to get ready for their first dance together at the wedding. Cute. <laughs> which the first dance is always so, so awkward. awkward. Look, it's like, every why? wedding ritual is so awkward. No, they're so stupid, but it's like, oh, good, everyone gets to I mean, look at you dance together. Oh, and it's always like an awkward, slow song, and it's mm-hmm. like, you just like spin in circles while toddling yeah. from side to side. Yeah. And then like... It's whispering at each other and everyone's, and everyone's like staring <laughs> and we're all like Gross. everyone's like what the fuck is happening so but his mom his mom was like i'm so surprised like he's not a ballroom dancer that he actually went out of his way to like take these classes hmm. so that he could like impress her on the dance floor i guess i don't know but it's like one dance i mean good for him though <laughs> romantic people who are romantic good for you i, I guess just, yeah if you can do it i can't get there no. <laughs> 
So anyway, they yeah, got yeah. married in April, and marriage was for them. Okay. And they honeymooned in Costa Rica, which Ooh. lovely. They got home to Cincinnati and made their plans for their future. They put a deck on the back of their house, and they were planning on getting a puppy. Wow, I guess they were making like decent money. Well, a dental hygienist That's and true. sports I'm planner. I'm a sports planner, don't you know? <laughs> also, I was thinking this is 2008, like either right like when oh. the market like kind of crashed, so maybe they got like a decent, ha- like decent deal on a house. Hmm. But I think they were doing like pretty well together. Uh, they also talked about taking a trip to Cancun in the near future. They made, I think they planned it and they were like already set nice. to go to Cancun. Yeah. So it seems like their wedding was off to like a really good start. Mm-hmm. They seemed really good for each other. They like were vacationing. They were going to get a dog. They were setting up their house. But then on Monday, August 11th, 2008, four months after they got married, Sarah Widmer complained of a headache and a stomach ache. Oh, no. She came home after work and laid on the couch while Ryan made dinner, and then he rubbed her head while she watched TV, and before she retreated upstairs to take a bath, she kissed him goodnight. Okay. Ryan stayed downstairs and watched football for around 30 to 45 minutes before heading upstairs. And then they kept they kept saying, like, what game it was and who was playing, and I was like, I really who don't cares? care. So I didn't include it. Sorry, <laughs> sports God. fans, but I did not include it. Some sports team was playing another sports team. Who knows? Maybe he planned the game. So oh, it could have been one. It could have been yeah. something, like, something about his team was playing and mm-hmm. whatever. But if you're into it, that's, like, sorry. Totally but cool. But I don't but really care. After, so after he turned off the TV and then, like, went up to bed, he walked into the bathroom and found Sarah unresponsive in the tub. He sat her up, drained the water, and dialed 911. The dispatcher. 911, what's your emergency? Ryan. My wife. She fell asleep in the tub. I think, I was downstairs, I just came up here, and she's lying face down in the tub. In the water? Yes. She's in the bathtub. Yes, she's, the water's draining right now. Go ahead and get her out of the bathtub and get her on a flat surface. Okay, okay. Ryan told the dispatcher that he moved her body into the bedroom. Okay, go ahead and get back to CPR. Go try CPR. They will be there in a little bit, okay? Okay. I kind of, like, pieced that together, so there may be some stuff missing, but. So he tried to perform CPR as best he could. But one article said that the 911 operator, like, did not tell him how to do it and, like, yeah. was not helpful. So he did what he, like, understood CPR to be, which hmm. I feel like you kind of get things from, like, TV and we should all take CPR classes, to be honest. But Okay. Police and EMTs arrived to help, and after 45 minutes of rigorous CPR and five intubation attempts, Fuck. Sarah was transported to Beth. Bethesda uh-huh. Arrow Springs Hospital, where she was pronounced dead. And I was going to practice Bethesda because I knew how to say it, but I knew I'd trip up on it. <laughs> Damn it. I'm concentrating too hard. And then I was imagining the guy from uh, Forensic Files saying, like, Bethesda, Bethesda Arrow Springs Hospital. <laughs> okay, so she was pronounced dead. But 45 minutes of CPR and five intubation attempts. That is so intense. It's a lot of broken ribs. Yeah, like a lot of. Oh, there's Tob at the door. Okay. Ryan's mom said... Oh, so they're at the hospital. And then she said, finally a woman came in. We said, is she gone? And she said, yes. Ryan just dropped to his knees and was bawling and sobbing, you know, into a chair. Mm-hmm. So he seemed, like, super upset. Mm-hmm. 
Sarah was 24. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay, so she, they're just having a regular night. Yeah. She can, She's like, I got a stomach ache and a headache. Yeah. I'm going to go take a bath and then lay down. And then he watched the game and then he found her in the bathtub, allegedly. Yeah. Okay. So Ryan told the emergency service people that he was pretty sure she'd fallen asleep in the bathtub and drowned. Uh, no. No. I don't think that that happens. I'm pretty sure if you, like, fell asleep in the bathtub and you went under, you would wake up immediately. So we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but the EMTs intubating her, pounding her chest, didn't understand one thing. There's something that didn't look right. Uh-oh. The police officer who was on the scene said, Well, I, I mean, your mind starts running immediately, you know, about possibilities. They initially tell me that I've got a 24-year-old drowning victim that died in the tub. I'm thinking that we're going to find evidence of something. You know, we're going to find some drugs or evidence of an overdose or or something. Okay, Horatio. <laughs> what, what was it? As he pulled up, the victim was already loaded into the back of the ambulance. The arriving police officer was still inside the house, and he gave the detective a fill. Oh, as a detective. Mm-hmm. I should have fixed sure. that. As the detective pulled up, the arriving police officer was still inside the house and he gave the detective a fill on what he had found when he was led to the master bedroom to Sarah's body. And I should say, I took a lot of this (laughs) straight from articles. Yeah, that's my story. (laughs) I usually try to like, you know, but... Uh, Who's got time for that? (laughs) I know. Okay, so he felt for a pulse. He assisted on... I should have rewritten this. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So the EMTs are there. The police officer arrives. He goes up there. He tries to help with the CPR, which why would you? If you're a police officer, like the EMTs have it. Yeah, you know? but the people that are, that's literally their. Unless job. he got there first. I'm not clear on this. Or anymore. it might be like, because I don't know, he's the first detective on the scene that he has to like pronounce her or like. He does not pronounce death. Oh, yeah, no. Coroner would do that. So I don't know. This is. Uh, okay. I I don't know. Come on, journalist. What are you doing? (laughs) So he uh, assisted on CPR, I guess, um, on what he described as a completely dry body with hair being only damp. Uh Uh-oh. He said, I expected there to be water on the floor or towels, and it's simply not there. Well, but 45 minutes, that's a long time. Right? I mean, if you... Okay, on the one hand, if you're, like, pulling a, a whole body out of a bathtub, it's going to be slippery. Well, he pulled... So, Ryan pulled the body out. Who knows how long it took the EMTs to get there. The EMTs get there, and then it's 45 minutes, and then working on her. Plus, he moved her from the bathroom yeah. to the bedroom, yeah. so more likely it's, like, carpeted or, like, something like right. that where there's not a lot... Okay, all right. So, uh, He said, there's a very small remnant of water... What you might call some droplets on the bottom of the tub right around the drain. But then again, if she went under, her hair would be wet. 45 well, it was damp. minutes. Her hair was damp. Damp. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's nothing. There's a towel on the floor. There's a mat on the floor. But everything's perfectly dry. Hmm. There were bottles on the edge yeah, of the that tub. that mat would be wet. There were bottles on the edge of the tub that hadn't been knocked over. Hmm. All of a sudden, it just hits me. Well... That's a used wipe. Someone's like a wiped down wipe? the tub. 
wipe? Yeah, I don't know. A used wipe? Yeah, I don't that know. makes you think of toilet paper or like... Yeah, or like, like a, a baby Clorox wipe, wipe or, or a baby wipe or something. And he said, that's been used to wipe down the tub. Something was screaming at me. Something's bad wrong. Something bad wrong. Something bad. Something really bad has happened here. And more so than just a tragic accident where she drowned. The crime scene techs had arrived by then and were taking photos, cutting out sections of the bedroom carpet where the mixture of blood and fluid common in drownings had stained the carpet. Okay. So there was stuff on the carpet. Huh. It had just maybe dried by then. There were questions. How long had Sarah been out of the tub? And had she been out of the tub long enough for her body to air dry? Was it possible for Ryan to lift Sarah out of the tub without knocking over the bottles of soap and shampoo? And that Lysol wipe was Lysol wipe. And that Lysol wipe. Perhaps Sarah routinely wiped down the tub before her bath? That's what I was going to say. Like, unless... I don't know, if you don't use the bathtub part all the time, there's like a sprinkling of dust or something. Or... Well, the other thing is she's super A-type. Yeah. So if she's using it all the time anyway, wipe it she probably cleans it out yeah. first before she gets in it. If that's like part of her routine, you know, because she wants it to be clean. Mm-hmm. And then the overriding question, what had happened to the young wife in her master bedroom? Also, let's change wife to woman because she's more than a wife. Yeah, 24. I know. That's very young. So young. To be married and buying a house. It's so young. And then to die. Yeah. Oh, I'm also wondering, like, okay, I've I've heard uh-huh. <laughs> that it's quite hard to pull a wet body out of a bathtub because it's literally dead weight and You think it's like slippery kind of suction-y too, and it's like heavy. Yeah. I mean, unless, you know, he's a lot bigger than her or whatever, but, but then, okay, if he pulled her out... And he's fully clothed that yeah. maybe some of the water, like, wiped off on him. Right. And then if he... But, okay, why wouldn't you just put her down on the floor right there? Why would you drag her all the way to the bedroom? Well, because if... I don't know, maybe you... Like, if you care about her, you think she'd be more comfortable in the bed kind of a thing. You know, you're not really thinking. It's like a... I guess he must have been a lot bigger than her because... Also, if you already have her up, you might as well, like, run into the bedroom. It's, like, right there. As opposed to, like, drop so her on the slippery. floor. Yeah, it could be. You don't want to, like, drop her on the floor, though. That's, like, disrespectful. Lay her down on the floor. It's, like, whole tiles. Well, because they said, like, get her on something flat and hard. Like, I would imagine, like, the first thing you want to do is get her out and and on something flat and hard so that you can do... Yeah, CPR. Like, who cares if she's comfortable right now? we got to get her breathing. Yeah, but when you're shocked, like... I guess. So, doctor... I don't know. I don't like this guy. So, doctor up to Grove... (laughs) <laughs> the coroner who completed Sarah's autopsy did not find any evidence of stroke or heart attack. He did find bruising to Sarah's scalp and the nape of her neck. Huh. Two days later, Ryan was charged with murdering his wife. Uh-huh. As unlikely as it may have seemed, police said that there was no other explanation for Sarah's death. So just four months after he stood before a priest for his marriage vows, he was now standing before a judge being charged with his wife's murder. However... There was no motive. No one believed that he did it, not even Sarah's family. Eight months after Sarah Widmer's death, Ryan was charged with aggravated murder, and he's 28 now. The prosecution team's story for the jury was uncomplicated. There'd been a violent confrontation in the Widmer house that night for reasons unknown. But my, like, okay, his whole family's like, this guy's super chill, he's like very laid back, we've basically never seen him like you know, get rageful or angry or anything. He's, like, very calm all the time. 
And then it's like, oh, all of a sudden one night they have an argument about we don't know what, and then he kills her. But there are those people that are, like, great with everyone else, but once they're behind closed doors, it's hell. Yes, that's true. And there was, like, never any evidence of, like, abuse or anything either. So I don't... Yeah, but that's also, like, you could say that about a lot of, you know, abused people where it's, like, it's hidden... They're not yeah. seeking it out because they feel like they either deserve it or they feel like they're not going to find any better or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever their reasoning is. So just because like it wasn't officially reported to anyone. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I know. Well, eh. it just seems like she had, you know, people in her life that she could have potentially reached out to, you know, she had like family and close to her friends and family. I don't know. So on the stand, the emergency dispatcher testified that the voice on the phone that night was giving more details than he usually hears from a call. The dispatcher said, dispatcher said, it seemed the caller was rather calm. Usually I can't get anything out of them. To the lead detective's ears, the husband was giving too much information. The officer also noticed that Sarah's fingers and toes were not wrinkled, even though she was supposedly in the tub for 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, fully submerged. An expert witness for the prosecution said it would be virtually impossible for someone without the influence of drugs or alcohol or something external to fall asleep and not wake up. Uh Aha! So the first sensation of water on the face would wake you up. Uh Aha! Number two... Would be the gag reflex entering your airway. And number three, if that didn't, the drop in oxygen would wake you up. Yup. Just like good old Detective Mateo said. (sighs) The coroner thinks Sarah's head was pushed over the edge of the tub or toilet or sink or forwards or backwards, either in running water or full water. So basically anything could have happened. And that Ryan held his wife's head underwater until she drowned. The defense said that Ryan Widmer had no reason to hurt his wife. He had absolutely no motive. But what was the bruising on the top of the head and the neck? Well, we'll get to that. Okay, thank you. He he also said that Ryan had chosen the wrong words to say on the 911 call and was being charged based on that. Which we've seen it before, where someone makes a phone, a 911 call, they're in panic, the dispatcher's like, this is weird. I mean, it's definitely not hard evidence, no. but it like does kind of tip the scales and why would you say it like that like especially if you're a 911 operator and you're used to getting calls like this like someone's drowned someone is in you know you're used to hearing like them freak out and stuff and so your trained ear after hearing all these 911 calls is like something is wrong probably something's wrong on the other hand you don't know like you don't know every personality type like not Maybe the super calm people aren't the ones making the 911 call. I don't know. Like, you just, you don't, everyone's, like, different. Yeah, you don't know how you're going to react under pressure or... And a dispatcher's not going to know how you're going to react under pressure because they don't know you. No, but I just feel like, in general, I understand what you're saying, yeah. Like, mm, why is, like, like, usually someone calls 911 in that situation, they they just want to figure out, how do I fix this? How Mm -hmm. do I get this person breathing? So there's, it's, it's going to be like more panicked. It's going to be more rushed. It's going to be like, just like, tell me what to do. Send someone to help. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, what if you, what if someone like you really care about something happened and you're just trying to understand what happened? Like 
you go upstairs, you find them not breathing. You're trying to understand like what happened, why they're not breathing. So you're calling and you're being like, hey, I was just downstairs. I came up upstairs and she's not breathing. You know, I feel like that's like a reasonable response Yeah, too. for sure. But then it's like, how do I, what do I do? Like immediately. Well, yeah. Pull but her I out think... of the bathtub, put her right on the floor because that's a hard surface. Yeah. I, the whole 911 call, like they're always super interesting, but also... It's, like, really hard to it's tell. Hard to tell, yeah. So the defense also said that the sleep expert that the prosecution called did not know about Sarah's sleep issues. Hmm. Everyone knew that Sarah could fall asleep anywhere at any time. Yeah, but there's a difference between falling asleep and getting woken up. Oh, just wait. Uh-oh. Earlier in the day of her death, her boss said that she wasn't feeling well. She had a sore throat and complained about a stomach ache, mm-hmm. and the back of her neck was hurting her, too. So um, she told a friend that evening on a phone call that she had a headache and that it was common for her to take a bath when she wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. A childhood friend said that it was common for her to fall asleep in the tub. Nationwide, there are approximately 300,000 episodes of sudden death a year, and of those episodes of sudden death, 1% to 2% occur in young people under 35. Sudden death? Yes, isn't that terrifying? Like, you're perfectly fine? Yeah, and all of a sudden you just die, and they don't know why. Okay. But one third of those young people that die have normal autopsies, no evidence of any cardiovascular, respiratory, or central nervous system injury. They just die. Wow. So in other words, (laughs) Great, other things to be scared of. Yeah, some people just die, and their autopsy may never reveal the cause. But the issue that would likely decide the case for guilty or innocent was observed by the arriving officer and the EMTs of damp hair and dry body. Hmm. That was what they were stuck on. Like, the detective was stuck on the dry body and the wet hair. The defense said what looked nonsensical and suspicious was easily explained. Her hair, her hair just stays wet longer. Right. Which is true. My hair takes like a fucking day to dry. When my hair was long, yeah, it, it could be wet the entire day. Yeah, it takes forever. So her body could have air dried and her hair, yeah, it's still damp because it's hair. Duh. Oh, I yeah. thought that they were just weirded out that it wasn't like soaking wet and her body wasn't wet. They were just no. weirded out that she had wet hair and yeah, dry skin. Yeah, because they're saying that they, like, they put, uh, he put her head underwater the water, yeah. and that's the only way that her hair could still be wet with her body being dry where it's like, okay, yeah. maybe if you're like a guy and you don't, you don't understand, you've, you've like never no had, hair. yeah, you've never had long hair. Maybe you're like, well, everything dries at the same time, but it's like, no, yeah. it doesn't. The defense also told the court, you have to look at the clock, the elapsed time of the incident. They said that Sarah's body dried off in the six and a half minutes between the time Ryan called 911 and when the first responders arrived. And what about the finger and toes that should have been pruned but weren't? No one knows what time Sarah got into the tub. Sure. So she could have just been in there for like a couple of minutes before he went upstairs. Who knows how long it takes to fill that tub, you know? She could have gone up and been there for like 20 minutes but was doing other stuff while the tub was filling and then she was only in there for a couple minutes. He went up and saw her, didn't have time to like prune. But the bruises. We'll get to that, too. (laughs) If it was a violent struggle, then there would be water on the floor, on the counter, on the walls, everywhere. And if they want to claim that it was the stage scene where he cleaned up the water, where are the wet towels? Mm -hmm. They didn't find any wet towels. He also said, for argument's sake... If there had been a struggle, surely Ryan would have gotten banged up while Sarah fought for her life. 
but Ryan didn't have a mark on him. Which, yeah, defensive wounds, right? Like, I mean, unless, like, literally she's fall she's fallen asleep in the tub and he just came in and shoved her head under and she didn't wake up and fight back like if if you're like agreeing with the prosecution and their experts saying like you wake up if you're drowning like if you wake up while you're drowning don't you think you're like flailing and getting water everywhere and scratching and kicking and yeah but i also know? think that there would be a lot of water on the floor from pulling her out of a tub like, even if you dragged her all the way to the bedroom, there the, the mat, the floor mat would be wet. Like, at least damp, if her hair was still damp. Right. The the tile, I would assume, would be wet. I would assume there would be water everywhere anyway if he was just trying to pull her body out of the water. None of that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I could sense. see that. Just, like, stepping out of the shower or whatever. You're wet, yeah. Yeah, you do get... Unless you have, like, a towel before, you know? Yeah, you get water everywhere. Unless it's, like, one of those quick-drying mats or whatever. <laughs> it's a moss mat. <laughs> those are cool. I want one of those. Mm. Uh, they also, the defense also said that the very idea of Ryan attacking Sarah is preposterous. Their friends said that he was super laid back and didn't have a mean bone in his body, and they couldn't believe that he would attack her and kill her. Mm-hmm. They also said that the bruising found on her head and neck uh-huh. resulted from the EMTs working on her so vigorously for 45 minutes. If you're trying to intubate someone five times, you're going to get bruising. Okay, that's true. And her head was, like, on the ground. They probably put her on a solid surface, and they're, like, pressing down. And Okay, so... After... But... Yes. If she's dead by the time they're there, mm-hmm. and they're doing all this pressing and whatever, she wouldn't get bruising because her blood's not flowing. Yes, but she's if she's laying in, like, one position, and he tried to, like, CPR her. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not uh, an expert. We're not experts on anything. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So what are you saying? You're on the jury. What are you saying? I'm saying there's not enough evidence. So you're saying not guilty based on the fact based that... Based on there's no evidence. There's no evidence. I say that, there, that there's definitely a possibility that he did it. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that he did it because statistically it's more likely that you're murdered by your partner than right. a ran- than you just randomly you know. fall dead. Yeah. And like I was saying before, people have the appearance of having wonderful relationships, but behind closed doors we don't know what's happening. Right, you never know. Um, But if I was on the jury with that evidence, I would have to acquit because there's not enough evidence. Like, I wouldn't... And there's no motive. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting him in jail or in prison with that information. Yeah. Okay, so after 23 hours of talking it over, the jurors sent a note saying they had reached a verdict. Ooh. So you're saying you would find him not guilty. What do you think the jury found? Guilty? They did. They found him guilty of non-premeditated murder. So they could have found him guilty for a premeditated murder and non-premeditated murder, I believe. And they chose non-premeditated murder. I mean, it look it, like circumstantially it looks good it for him. It looks like he could have done it, but Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look good. <laughs> or I mean, it looks good that he's the perpetrator. Yeah. Like looks, he looks good for it. He looks good for it. Thank you. Lingo. Yes. He looks good for it, but yeah. But there's not nearly any evidence. There's not enough evidence to yeah. satisfy my mind in thinking that they made the right call. Right. So Ryan addressed the court and he said, I love my wife. I did not hurt her. I was not given a chance. 
The day after she passes away, they charge me with murder. I didn't even, if I had the answer, I would give the answer of what happened to her, but I can't. I was not in the bathroom with her. I love my wife, and I did not hurt her. So, if he didn't kill her, that sucks. Yeah. You're, you don't understand what happened to your, like, brand new wife. And the, they did an autopsy and didn't find anything strange? No, they didn't. She she died by drowning? Yeah, she yeah. died by drowning. Um, But... Like, how, so you're, like, mourning, you, like, can't even process the fact that she's gone, you know? And then you start, like, grieving, and they're like, oh, you did it. Like, how terrifying is that if you didn't do it? Yeah, that's why I think, like, there's not enough evidence to convict. Um, I'm, well, now I'm wondering, like, well, I guess she didn't have any... Okay, so she has pains, headache, mm-hmm. stomach ache. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that she took some painkillers... And then well, they didn't fell find asleep. any like drugs in her anything. system. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, we'll get a little more into that later. Okay. Ryan Widmer was given the mandatory sentence of 15 years to life in prison. Wow. He was cuffed and moved back to the holding cell. So 15 years if he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just, in just in these cases, it's just like you're like grieving for the loss of someone that you love, and then you're like locked up for it, and you're like. Am I going crazy here? There's, like, literally no evidence. And now I have to spend 15 years in prison because I stumbled upon my wife dead? Yeah. It's fucked up. It's, oh, God, a nightmare. It would be a living nightmare. Yes. Yes. Soon after the verdict, the defense lawyer got a fax saying, some jury members directly violated the judge's instructions to consider only what they had heard in court. Mm -hmm. The allegation was jury misconduct. A serious matter. The judge began reviewing affidavits from a mem- from a number of the jurors about what went on during deliberations. What happened was two or three of the female jurors did some home experiments. Uh. They showered and then air dried. <laughs> Four months after the sentencing, Ryan would get a new trial, only on the second count of murder, not. The not guilty on aggravated murder count remained. So they decided because they took a shower and then air dried and yeah. timed it that their yeah. hair was dry or that, that their, their body, body was, was dry and their hair was like damp within that time or I don't know, but they hmm. did some like, <laughs> which I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe if you're curious, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Would you do it? A home experiment? that I, yeah. I might do that i mean just kind of see what happens i don't know that i would think to do that but now that i'm thinking about it it yeah. would if i'm like trying if that's what i'm stuck on like right. how long does it take to, to dry the body and that's what they keep driving home like yes wet hair dry body or whatever yeah i might i mean i'm you know in a hotel or whatever to be in the jury i might just do that i feel like it's kind of clever right to do like a little science experiment you get you're given a theory you're gonna test that theory mm-hmm. just to see how accurate it well, is it's something you can easily do but then it depends on like how long your hair is yep. how thick your hair is yep. the temperature of the room if there are also, fans on they're like showering maybe it's different like if you had bathed instead if your hair was just like sitting in the water and then was pulled out yeah or if you're, how like, much you like submerged. drip water when you come out of the shower i don't know maybe we should do an experiment well, bath versus shower. Well, how much water? How you much You don't have a bathtub, dry? and my bathtub is gross because I live with dudes. You need to get the Clorox wipe out. Give oh, it a little wipe around. Shit. Okay, <laughs> a wipe around. 
We could do it at mom and dad's house. Okay. <laughs> we'll time <laughs> we each to, other. And then lay on the floor and see Are you still long. dry? Are you, are you damp? What's happening? <laughs> Hair check. So, uh, so that was obviously not okay. Okay, so then he, he's, they like kept the not guilty of aggravated murder. He's going to go on trial again for premed, non-premeditated murder. He was tried for a second time in 2010. After, on the same evidence? Yeah, the okay. same everything. Okay. After the jury deliberated for 31 hours, the trial ended in a mistrial. The jury was a hung jury. Uh-huh. It was split about 50-50. That's what I would expect. It's weak evidence. Yeah, it's, it's not it's really, really any evidence. evidence at all. It's a great story, but it's yeah. weak evidence. Yeah. In 2011, he was tried for a third time. You'd think they just drop it, right? Like, that's so many millions of dollars in court fees that well, they're paying. it's a paying. mistrial, so it's like, well, gotta do it again. But you right? don't. Like, you don't have to try it again. Especially when they don't have the evidence and this guy, like, he's already been through it twice. If he's innocent. I don't know. I know. I don't know. I just feel like when when things like this happen and there's a third trial, like, someone's got, like, a stick up their butt for this guy. Like... <laughs> Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Okay, so in 2011, he was tried for a third time. At this trial, a new witness came forward. Okay, finally. Jennifer Crew reached out to Ryan in 2009 after seeing a Dateline episode about him and Sarah. They struck up a friendship. She testified that Ryan called her on October 26, 2009, while he was drunk, and confessed to killing his wife. <gasps> he said that they got into a fight that night about him watching porn and smoking and drinking, and Sarah told him that she was leaving him. Then, while she was filling up the tub, he said, no one leaves me. <laughs> then he pushed her in the chest, and she fell and hit her head. Then he said that he blacked out, and when he woke up, Sarah was dead on the ground with wet hair. <laughs> I was like... It's <laughs> <a> good. <laughs> I just then he said that he dried up with clean towels, and he threatened Jennifer not to tell anyone. So after the second trial, Jennifer contacted the prosecutor, and after... Oh, I won't go on. But I'm sorry, but like, okay, he cleaned up. He cleaned up with clean towels. Mm-hmm. Where the, where were the towels? Probably in the bathroom. Oh, where they end up? Yeah, like how no one found them. Yeah, mm-hmm. they didn't have any wet towels. Yeah. Also, he with. confesses to some random woman. Who, yeah. Like, who is she? What's her relation? Yeah. They just struck up a friendship. She's like, "Hey, I saw you on Dateline. Do you want to be friends?" Yeah. Someone okay. like looking for attention, maybe. Yep. So, after this. The jury deliberated for 12 hours. Guess what they found? Not guilty? They found him guilty. Really? What? Guilty. And sentenced him to 15 years again. He's appealed for a fourth trial, but it's been denied. So here's the question. Did he murder his wife? Let's start with Jennifer. Okay. The problem with with Jennifer's testimony. Listen, when (laughs) I read her testimony, I was like... These things are wrong with her, and they are the things that were wrong with her. (laughs) So, things in her testimony didn't add up, like, at all. First of all, while she was being questioned by prosecution, she was, like, all tears and, like, frail, and she was, like, putting on this whole act, but as soon as the defense comes up, she gets, like, super combative and hostile. (laughs) Hmm. 
And then... Don't ask me questions. Yeah. Yeah. Did... Probably all defensive and shit. Well, yeah, because she's telling the, the truth. Yeah. Gotta believe me. She also said that when police got there, the trash can was knocked over and Ryan was worried that police would notice. So she's saying that, like, Ryan was like, oh, we got into this fight and, like, somehow the trash can got knocked over and I was worried that they would see the knocked over trash can and know that we got into a fight. Is what she's saying. But a police officer testified that he's the one who had tipped it over. So how'd she get that information? Because I doubt that they would put the information of the trash can tipping over, like, out in the... Maybe it was on Dateline. I don't know. Or maybe... I don't know. Did they have any kind of record of him ever talking to this woman? Yeah. So they did, did, like, communicate. But the other part is she, like... She also did, like, a lot of research on the case, too. Uh She was, like... Well, she's super I think interested that she, in it and contacted yeah, him. Yeah, because she wants to be, like, important, mm-hmm. you know? And she wants to be seen. So she's like, oh, we, like, have this friendship and he entrusted me, this person who's barely known, to, like, confess to murder. Like, why would you call... I don't know. Okay. Um, the other thing was... Okay, also, so she said that he pushed... She, he, like, punched her in the chest. Right. But there's no bruising on her chest. Right. So but obviously that could, he didn't punch her But, in the you chest. know, that could be... Because they did all the CPR and they're pushing on the chest. But they didn't see bruising at all, though. Because she's dead and you don't get bruises when you're dead. That's what I'm saying. Mm. She also said that Ryan told her that he called 911 on Sarah's phone because his was dead at the time. But that also wasn't the case. Hmm. They had proof that he had called on his own phone. Which is like, why would you lie about that? She's just like trying to add details to make it sound more legit. I think so. And then the police officers searched everywhere, and they never found wet towels. Because hmm. they were like, if he cleaned up, you yeah, know. Yeah, there's going to be at least some kind of towels or... But there unless, isn't. Unless he cleaned up with, like, dirty laundry and just, like, sprinkled it on the floor and then wiped well, it up like and put they it back in the I mean, hamper. if they're dumping over trash cans, they're going through the hamper. Yeah. So I feel like everything had time to air dry Well, then. no. The guy accidentally kicked over the trash can. No, he dumped it over okay. deliberately. <laughs> he turned it over. Uh, but I think... I don't know. I feel like maybe there was time for everything to air air out. Plus, yeah. you're having people like coming in and out of your house, like EMTs and everything. They're probably walking through the water and they're kneeling down and probably absorbing it through their pants and stuff. Like, mm. I don't know. So, Jennifer, she, at the time this one article was written, she was taking classes in criminal justice and chemical dependency. She was a manager for a dance. For dancers in a club in Illinois, which exotic dancers, I think, and she had some addiction issues in the past with Oxycontin in particular. Hmm. She had created aliases to get more pills before when she was like in her addiction, (laughs) and she'd been convicted of theft and forgery. She also had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And she also, oh, this was weird too, almost went on a date with one of her teachers. The defense like asked her about this and she said that she didn't go on the date, not because he was married, that didn't bother her, but because he was old and had a receding hairline. And she was like, she's like, (laughs) he had a receding hairline like you to like the defense attorney. (laughs) Damn. Like what what a bitch. So she doesn't sound credible at Not all. Not at all. She also had lied about the time that she was supposed to have gotten the confession call and about how long the call was. 
She said she got it in, like, the middle of the night, but really she had gotten it in, like, the afternoon. Because she said she got it in the middle of the night, and then she, like, woke up her husband at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning to tell him about the call. But really it had happened in the afternoon, and she had, like, told him in the afternoon about it. Maybe she's a vampire, and the middle of the night is the afternoon Maybe her schedule is flipped. And then, ten days later, after she'd gotten this call, the confession, she sent Ryan and his twin brother... His twin brother's name is A. Ryan. A. Ryan. A. Ryan. A-R-Y-A-N. And R-Y-A-N. A. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ryan and Orion. And they're twins. They're twins. That's It's not very so nice. Mean. It's not very nice. She sent them matching Bengals warm-ups for their birthday. So it was a Bengals game. That was his team. Oh, I did write it down. I but I don't Bengals know. Bengals were like the jewelry, like the like bracelets. Like the cute Bengals. <laughs> I would like some Bengals. No, but he didn't. So I didn't know what warm-ups were. So that's why I wrote matching Bengals warm-ups because I didn't know what that was. Aren't they those like pants, those rip-off pants? Oh, are they? Maybe. Or shoes. This isn't like the early. <laughs> I guess it is kind of like the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I think like warm-up pants. Had those pants. They were the coolest. Rip them Then you like off. snap them to your, you unsnap them to your knees. Oh, and you got some like ventilation. You look super big, cool. Big uh, bell bottoms. Yeah, they were super cool. Mm-hmm. God, I had like a couple pairs of those. You did? Yeah. Why? You never played any sports. I played basketball. <laughs> I needed them for over my basketball shorts. Not like I ever touched the ball. I was like, God, no, not me. Bench warmer. Not me. Yeah. yeah. I wish. They didn't, they made they everyone didn't, play. They didn't leave you. Oh, no, they, didn't they made everyone the play. Yeah. It was really unfortunate. Sad. Okay. So oh. clearly she's not credible at all. Nope. Just like In evidence. my mind, she's like this woman who like needs attention. Mm-hmm. She's in this criminal justice program. So she's like, oh, I know everything. Like I'm like yeah. an expert on this. And then she sees this Dateline thing and she's like, oh, Somehow she gets in contact with him. Probably, like, Facebook or something. I don't know. And then they form, like, kind of some kind of weird friendship where she's probably like, oh, I'm supportive and go you. And then she's like, oh, he's going to have, like, another trial. I need to get in on this. And I'm the one that he, you know, it's, like, all attention getting. Yeah. I don't think that it's real at all. No. So. Plus, like you said, why would he tell her of all people? Yeah, of all people. Oh, I'm drunk. I'm going to call this random woman who I probably only have only talked to, like, a few times. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the other thing that they said was, I don't know if I wrote this later, but the other thing they said was that she didn't come forward because she was afraid that he was going to come and, like, kill her. But she lived in Illinois, and he lived in Ohio, and he was, like, not able to leave the state while they were going to prosecute him again. So, like, her being afraid that he was, like, going to find out where she lived and maybe because she'd sent like the warm-ups she maybe had like a return address so he like knew where she lived or something but it's like why would he make the effort i don't know she just thinks she's so special yeah that's exactly what it is Mm -hmm. she just thinks she's like or she's like trying to be so important okay the other the other questionable thing is the autopsy the coroner declared that the manner of death as, was homicide before he'd even done a toxicology, or before the reports came back, hmm. and before speaking to doctors and knowing Sarah's medical history. She frequently complained of headaches and was often teased about the way she seemed to fall asleep at the drop of a hat. She had had a heart murmur when she was a baby, and the recommended follow-ups were never completed. She was also born with a cleft palate that was repaired when she was a child. She also appeared to have low set ears a small lower jaw and she walked on her tippy toes the night she died 
What does all that mean? All of these symptoms point to her having a long QT syndrome or some other kind of disorder. Is it like a neurological thing or what? Yeah. So they're thinking she either had that or narcolepsy or cataplexy. Um, What's with the tiptoes? Based on the symptoms. So I couldn't really find the tiptoe thing, but they all like pointed out that she like walked on her tiptoes and that apparently is a symptom of some kind of Shit. some kind of issue. So long QT syndrome is a heart rhythm condition that can potentially cause fast chaotic heartbeats. These rapid heartbeats might trigger you to suddenly faint. Some people with the condition have seizures. In some cases, long QT syndrome can cause sudden death. It can cause fainting, drowning, seizures, um, and they can be triggered by exercise or by stress. Huh. And if she had a seizure in the bathtub... Yeah, or fainted. Well, I was thinking, like, if she had a seizure... And she's, like, seizing. That could be why she had bruising on her head and neck or whatever, oh, like, hitting the back of her head yeah. or whatever. Yes. Because, yeah, I mean, but then there would, you would think there'd be more water splashed around, but maybe not. But maybe it dried, though. Or maybe she was just, like, her, like, she was, like, seizing, like, you know, like, just tremor or, like, I don't know, like, her arms weren't flailing or yeah. whatever. Yeah. She was just, like, t- her muscles were tightened. Yeah. So she was seizing. Yeah, usually you get, like, all mm-hmm. seized up. Like, you can't, you don't really move. You're, like, tight. And then it said, like, everyone knew that she would fall asleep everywhere, and they would tease her about it. They would, like, mm-hmm. take her to family parties, and they'd be like, oh, Sarah, don't fall asleep. Or they'd be watching a movie, and then Ryan would be like, hey, Sarah, wake up, watch the movie. Like, wake up, watch it. Don't miss this part. And she just, like, they'd sit at dinner, like, at the dinner table, and she'd Shit. be asleep. And she never got any kind of treatment. For no. Her, <laughs> and she, and then even the dentist that she worked for was, like, she would go for lunch, she'd get, like, a quick lunch, and then she'd take a quick nap in her car, and she just, like, would always be falling asleep. Wow. So clearly something's Something's, going on, right? Yeah. So Timothy syndrome is like, I think it's like a form of long QT syndrome or it's like some kind of related. Mm -hmm. And it's associated with specific facial characteristics like low set ears, Mm -hmm. a lower nasal bridge, a small upper jaw, baldness at birth and for the first two years of life, followed by thin hair and a small and small widely spaced teeth with a predisposition to cavities. Hmm. Which maybe that's why she got into like dental hygiene, you know? I don't know. So the coroner didn't test Sarah's heart or brain for these conditions. In his eyes, the tests cost too much money. Oh my God. It's too much money, but a a trial and like risking a man's life. Yeah, putting a man away Mm -hmm. and then like paying for like him to be stored in this place. Yeah, and tried three times. You're right. Paying for a trial three times over and you can't like test her DNA. That's ridiculous. He ruled the manner of death as a drowning and the case or the cause is homicide within hours of her passing away. Since Dr. Uptegrove did not preserve the brain and the heart correctly, the forensic (sighs) pathologist Dr. Werner Spitz which is a great name. <laughs> Werner. Werner Spitz. Who completed Sarah's... Wait, that's a first name? Werner? Werner. Werner. Werner Spitz. Yeah, he sounds very Spitz. German. Werner Spitz. Who completed Sarah's second autopsy. He couldn't conduct the tests for those conditions. He ruled Sarah's death as drowning and the manner was unknown. The DNA that the prosecutors hold is the only thing that could possibly give Ryan answers as to what happened to his wife, Sarah. Ryan's family is pushing for the DNA test to see if Sarah had one of the disorders. Widmer's first 
opportunity for parole is in 2025, but attorneys say it's unlikely he will get early release because... Did you say Widmer? Yeah, that's Ryan Widmer. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought we were talking about Werner. No, we're not talking about okay, Werner. Okay, sorry. Widmer. Sorry. Yes, yeah. Ryan's first opportunity for paroles in 2025, but attorneys say it is unlikely he will get early release because the parole board looks most favorably on pr- prisoners who are remorseful, and he's claiming his innocence. Right. So why would he be remorseful if he didn't do it? Well, exactly. Ew. So they... I think his last appeal for a retrial was denied, I want to say. Uh, but him and his family are really trying to get her DNA tested yeah. to see if she had a genetic Why disorder. Why not? Why wouldn't you? Yes. Yes. <sighs> so, this is like a, did he did he do it? Not enough evidence. It's not enough evidence to say. And then I feel like... I and feel that like woman she... should have never been able to... Testify. Never, never, and I just feel like th- like the prosecution knew that she was gonna she was gonna say different things than the police officers even said, and they still put her on because they needed something for that third trial. Yeah, and I just think it was like super irresponsible of them. Like clearly she was lying. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't know. I feel like you're risking 15 years plus of this man's life because you can't. Because because the police officer thought that dry body and wet hair meant murder, and because the dispatcher said that he, he like, said weird things on the phone, like, that's not enough. No. So then I was, like, I went kind of down a little rabbit hole of, like, trying to find out, like, more, and I went on, like, a Reddit whatever, and one person was like, yeah, he, like, definitely did it, but there's, like, not enough evidence. And I was kind of like, but what's making you say that he definitely did it? Like, I just, I don't know. I just don't know. So toss salad, scrambled egg, I don't know. Yeah, not enough evidence. I feel like the detective who, like, really had it out for this guy maybe a little bit of a scrambled egg. Yeah, it seems like something is going on internally where it's, like, the coroner didn't, or the, was it the coroner that was doing the autopsy? Or the medical yeah. examiner doing the yeah. autopsy was just like, well, this is what it is, even though he didn't actually examine some of the stuff, and then... The officer just being like, whoop, look, wet hair, dry body. Yeah. Like, well, and I feel like it's kind of reminiscent of um, the Scott Peterson thing, yeah. except for it didn't, I don't know, I didn't find anything that said that Ryan was like a narcissist, and I just feel like it's pretty reasonable for him to want a DNA test, and the other part of it is he did call 911 when he found his wife's body. Right. I don't know. I feel like if you killed her, wouldn't you try and, like, get rid of her body? Well, but if you're staging it to look like a drowning. I know, but I don't know. Wow. I have a lot of sources. Hey, that's good. Let me just say, this story took me about two days to understand what was happening and who (laughs) all the players were. Um, If you thought last week's was convoluted, and I know you didn't. I did not at all. You you might think that this week's is... I just don't know why you do this to yourself. I... I, if I, if I'm not like, what the fuck, then I just, it just doesn't seem like I want to talk about it. But then I'm like, oh my God, I've been but working on But then it's like, how for- do you talk about it when uh, you don't even know what's happening? Yeah. Literally, I had to go through so many different articles just to piece it together. They give you like the basic, basic facts in a lot of the places mm-hmm. and then not much information about how people are related. So I got this information from an article on Ranker, an article on Wikipedia, an article on Murderpedia, an article on ABC.net, an article on SerialKillers.Wikia.org. Oh. What? 
serial killer. Uh, uh, an article from the Daily Mail. Oh, is that UK? That's UK. <gasps> an uh, article from the Guardian. UK. And an uh, and an article. No, not an article. And I watched two episodes. <laughs> one episode of Crime Investigation Australia. <gasps> what? And oh, one episode of Crimes That Shook Australia. <gasps> it's Australian? It's Australian. We're oh, going down shit. under. Oh, shit. This is for our one Australian listener. We <gasps> see Hi, you. we see you. Hope you're still listening. <laughs> we love Australia and all the things that can kill you down there. Yeah. I mean, we don't love those things. We don't. It's fun to talk about that. Yeah, it's terrifying. So I'm sure that you're well-versed, <laughs> Australian listener, um, in the Snowtown Murders. Oh. Do you know this? Oh, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I do. I had heard of it, uh-huh. but apparently not anything. I'd heard, I knew the name. I know this, I knew the Snowtown Murders because there was actually a movie made that's loosely based on it. I had never seen it, but I'd heard you the name. you heard the of Snowtown a Murders. name of I've a heard movie the Snowtown, that's it's called, loosely based the movie is called The Snowtown Murders. This is already convoluted. Which is also what this story is called. It's like a documentary? No. Oh, it, no, it's loosely it's based. Loosely yeah, you already yeah, said that. Okay. okay, I'm already losing track. God Shit. damn it. Okay, one place. Well, not one. Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. In 1999, police in Snowtown, Australia, which Snowtown... Where is Snowtown? It's southern. Uh-huh. Like, Near Adelaide. Uh-huh. Okay. But uh, it's like this sleepy little town, like very small, like less than 400 people there. I love a sleepy town. It is sleepy. <laughs> Nothing happens in Snowtown. Nothing happens there. I mean, if I could sleep all day, mm-hmm. it's golden. It's very cute, very quaint. You can walk around the whole town in one second. Snow a lot. I don't think so. Yeah. It's Australia. Yeah, I don't I think so. Don't picture snow there. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's just got to. I mean, they have the polar bears, so. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, wrong continent. I'm just kidding. Okay. I know you guys don't have polar bears. Kangaroos. Koalas. So, the police made a discovery of eight dismembered bodies. <gasps> In six barrels. Oh, no. In an abandoned bank vault in Snowtown. What? Yep. What? Another two bodies were found days later in the backyard. Two bodies were found days later in the backyard of a Salisbury North home. So, ten bodies. Ten bodies. Bank vault and a home? Are you getting confused already? No, (laughs) because there's supposed to be more bodies, but I think ten Okay. We're just going with that. Okay. These killings became known as the Snowtown Murders, one of the most famous cases of serial killers in Australia. Australia. Right. So the house wasn't abandoned. No, it was just like the backyard. They dug up a couple bodies in the backyard. Oh, just the casual just, bodies in the backyard. Well, they were told where they were. Going oh, back. So. Previous owner. The people that, I'm going to just tell you who okay. did it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. These people Might as well get it out first. were murdered by John Bunting, Robert Wagner, and James Vlasakis. Robert Wagner? Is that someone? Like the actor? Yes, yeah. but not the actor. Uh-huh. This dude's an Australian chap. Yeah. Three dudes? Three dudes and a fourth dude who oh. mostly just helped them dispose of the bodies but wasn't super involved in uh-huh. the murders. 
Okay, so these murders took place between August 1992 and May 1999 in and around Adelaide, South Australia. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the fourth person, Mark Hayden, was convicted for helping to dispose of the bodies. Although motivation for the murder is unclear, the killers were led by Bunting to believe that victims that the victims were pedophiles, homosexuals, or weak. Mostly he rallied up about pedophiles. Yeah, I think that would and be the kind one of, that would get you, Well, right? he kind of couldn't tell the difference between a homosexual and a pedophile. Yeah, he kind of placed them around the you same. You know, that's why vigilante justice is so good. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> you just get everyone. Yeah. You know, regardless. Um, in some... In the cases, some of the victims were tortured mm-hmm. and efforts were made to appropriate the victims identities and social security payments and bank accounts so he's telling these other dudes these are bad guys that we're killing yeah no big deal yeah we're, we're doing just cleaning good. up yep meanwhile he's taking their money yep yeah. okay mm-hmm. so okay. you're all covered up okay mm-hmm. we got it all so covered let's, up. All covered up with Australian murder. I'm just going to be in the corner, like, shivering with a blanket around me. So, uh, John Justin Bunting was born in September 1966 in Enola, Queensland, Australia. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they decided to put this or how this was important, but all the places said that he was born without a sense of smell. Well, that could make you a serial killer. I mean, if you can't taste anything. Yeah, what's the fun of life? I mean, everything's ruined, you you know? It's like you'd be so angry at everyone all the time. Can't smell the roses. Can't taste food. (sighs) He was raised by both his parents, Tom and Jan Bunting, and was an only child. He claims that he was beaten and sexually assaulted by a friend's older brother at Mm. age eight. Um, But that was, you know, his... Yeah. Recanting. But other than that, it seemed like he had a pretty normal childhood. Yeah. His parents said he was pretty normal. Um, he had his first sexual experience at age 15, and he got that girl pregnant. Oh, God. They didn't really say what happened about that, but just, oh. you know, starting out good. Well, at, this was in the 60s? 70s? Yeah, 70s. She was probably, if they were doing things like we were doing things, she was probably sent away to... You know, and then came back with, like, a child for her parents to adopt kind of a thing. Like her sister. Yeah. Yeah. A new sister. I found my sister. Yeah. At the nunnery. You know, I was pregnant this whole time and you didn't even notice. (laughs) Oh, and our daughter's back. Oh, good. She's back from school (laughs) in France. Yeah. Um, At age 22, Bunting worked at an abattoir. Abattoir. Excuse me? Um, A slaughter. House, oh, that's a, a much nicer name so, for it. Reportedly bragged about slaughtering the oh, animals, come saying on, dude. that that's what he enjoyed the most. What a sicko. He got into Nazism and white supremacy. Oh. And upset his mom by painting a swastika on the inside of his car trunk. Or boot, if you the like. The boot. If you were a, yeah, a I didn't know what you were talking about. The, trunk. the boot. That is, in, like, what'd you say? She was insulted? Defended? She was offended, yeah. I would be offended. Um, she, I mean, she was upset, but, uh, and then, like, someone, some, one article said that, like, he was characterized as being a good listener, kind, compassionate, and empowering. He had mm. the knack for talking to people and befriending them and mm. making them feel so connected to him that they would do just about anything he asked mm. of them. Charming asshole. So he's manipulative. Mm-hmm. 
So Bunting moved to a house in Salisbury North, South Australia in 1991 and befriended his neighbors, Mark Hayden and Robert Wagner. Oh, guys. And Robert Wagner's boyfriend, Barry Lane. What? Right. Right? Okay. Right. Bunting was married to Veronica Tripp. Oh, he got married to someone? Allegedly. (laughs) He did. They snuck it into a lot of the Uh articles. Okay, Veronica. Okay. So in his house... Bunting had created what he called a rock spider wall, mm. where he kept, where he kept a web of pictures and names of people <gasps> he suspected were gays. No, rock spider is a slang term in Australia mm-hmm. for pedophiles, and he rock referred spider. rock spider better than a rock like a lobster. Rock so- yes, that's rock what I was lobster. thinking of. Sounds like a song. <laughs> rock, rock spider. spider. And, uh... Why, because they like, hiding in plain sight? Maybe. I don't know. Oh. I'm not sure what a rock spider is. I don't know. Something that could probably kill you if it's Australian. Probably. Very venomous. Yeah. You gotta get them... Get, get them out. They're probably, like, little and everywhere, and they kill you in one look. One look. Yeah. Glance of a yeah. rock spider, you're dead. A little side eye, you're gone. <laughs> so, the chart was created using paper notes and wool. Okay. Time out. You're Veronica. Uh-huh. You marry some charming dude. All of a sudden, the wall of your house is covered up with, with like the red string linking all these like. Well, he's people just with you know names. trying to eradicate the. And he's got a swastika in his boot. Well, it's in the boot. Maybe she didn't know about it yet. Mm. I don't know, but uh. Yeah. I just would not be okay with a whole mm. wall taken up of like pictures <laughs> of random people. Maybe he had it in his office or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, the chart was created using paper notes and wool, and oh, was. Cute. Uh, yeah blah 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 so at times bunting would randomly select a name from the wall and call them and then just start insulting them and calling them pedophiles and that they were going to get what was coming to them what a dick Mm -hmm. robert joe wagner who was born on november 28th 1971 in Parramatta, new south wales he had trouble here he had a he had been a troubled kid Hmm. he was illiterate so he had trouble in school his dad was a disciplinarian and would beat him. Oh. And he, too, was sexually abused as a kid. As a preteen, he had met a man named Barry Lane. Um, and they, like, hung out, and I'm pretty sure that, like, some bad things yeah, happened, you know. and... because eventually Barry Lane... Um, Barry Lane, who, by this time, he, uh, is a 40-year-old convicted pedophile, and a oh, cross-dresser God. who also went by Vanessa... Mm-hmm. Keeping track? Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was Barry Vanessa gonna come back later? Yeah. Okay. So Wagner and Barry. Oh, you didn't bring the whiteboard. How and... am I supposed to keep track? You can get paper. I need to collage this on the wall. <laughs> you Do need you have a any rock wool? Wa- <laughs> a rock spider wall. Uh, he, <laughs> there's wool in that cabinet. Oh, <laughs> there's yarn. Okay, we'll have to draw all the okay. pictures. So I don't have a printer. He. Uh, Barry Lane, a 40-year-old convicted pedophile and cross-dresser who also went by Vanessa, him and Barry, Barry, him and very Barry, <laughs> Wagner and Barry eventually moved in together when Wagner was an adult, and they lived next door to Bunting. Okay, so this kid who was groomed and molested by this man from the time he was a preteen moved in with him. Yep, and they're, oh. like, boyfriends. No, they're not, but okay. <laughs> okay, the three started hanging out. And uh, Wagner kind of became a henchman for Bunting, never questioned him, would just mm-hmm. do whatever he was told. 
Mark Ray Hayden, born December 4th, 1958, who was an associate and neighbor of Bunting, um, was also down on his luck and easily manipulated and fell under Bunting's spell. Uh, he had a wife, Elizabeth Hayden, and I guess him and his wife just weren't very intellectual. Mm-hmm. A lot of people said they were kind of dumb. Okay. Uh, Maybe like some kind of learning disability or something? Definitely something. Okay. Allegedly, Mark Hayden had rented the bank building, the abandoned bank building where mm-hmm. the bodies were found um, in Snowtown in 1999. And um, I just thought this was a funny quote that like, he I don't know who he told this to, but he claimed that all they were storing at the bank was some petrified kangaroo carcasses, which... I tried to look that up if it was a delicacy, and mm-hmm. no. You, I don't think that... You definitely don't want a petrified kangaroo carcass. Is that a thing? I don't think so. No, because they have to be, like, prehistoric <laughs> to be petrified, right? Like, dinosaurs... Putrefied, and... sorry. Putrefied. Ew! <laughs> Ew! Yeah. So... It's delicacy? Yeah, I was like, well, maybe, oh I don't know. God. And it was like, if your kangaroo is putrefying, you should get rid of it. Who has a kangaroo? <laughs> I mean, if you have, like, a kangaroo farm and, like, you find a dead one or whatever. A what? Kangaroo farm. Who has a kangaroo Australians. farm? Australians! They have the farm kangaroos? Yes! Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Gotta like, go down under again. Like a, like, ca- like a pasture for sure. cows. Sure, gotta They've eat them. Like they the... eat them. <sighs> and box them. Yeah, you got a box here is. But okay, wait. So there's just like this super cool bank vault that's for So rent. the building is basically just this little brick building that was like now remember, Snowtown is a very, very, very small town. town. So their bank mm-hmm. is like a little building. It's a little brick building that mm-hmm. just that happens to have a vault in it. Okay. Like a room that and you can like, seal with I the need vault to door. Protect these putrid kangaroos, kangaroo so I've locked them up in the vault. I don't know who he said that to or if he did, but someone wrote it and I thought it was funny. <laughs> That's disgusting. Who's going to steal a stinky kangaroo? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the various victims were mainly chosen on a whim by John Bunting for imagined infractions. Oh, lovely. Because like I said, he especially hated pedophiles. Uh-huh. And some of the victims were murdered as Bunting suspected them of being pedophiles. Usually based on flimsy evidence or rumor... Others were killed due to dislike of obese people or drug users or because they were gay. The fuck? Most of the victims were friends or acquaintances of at least one of the group. Oh my god, that's fucked. You can't trust anyone, ever. Jesus Christ, Zachary. Which is like one of the strange parts about this. Most serial killers kill people they don't know. Yeah. Because it allows them to kill for longer, because they're not being traced back to right, the people. Right, you're not linked. Yeah. So... Well, unless you're just... a black widow. Others were relatives, sometimes oh living God. in the same house as one of the killers. Uh, <sighs> others were briefly befriended and drawn into the group as they were picked as easy targets. So I feel like that's super dumb, but they were killing for a number of years. Yeah. So maybe... It seemed to work here. Yeah. The well, you'll find out why, but oh, um, okay. yeah. So, usually the victim's social security and bank details were obtained, and the murderers or their associates impersonated the victims on the phones mm. to continue collecting their pensions mm-hmm. after death. Although a total of ninety-seven thousand two hundred was in, obtained in this manner, 
Social security fraud was not judged to have been the primary motive for the killings because in several cases, well, in most of the cases, they were like on welfare. Mm -hmm. So they weren't getting a lot of money. No, he just wanted to murder people. Yeah. Because he had no sense of smell. Well, yeah, I guess if you have no sense of smell, then you don't smell that putrefied, putrefied, (laughs) putrefied. Putrefied. Here's the other kangaroo. thing. Smell is like super linked to like emotions mm-hmm. and memory and like linking people together. So maybe you can't form bonds with people if you can't Whoa. smell them that well. New theory. All right. Mm. We've got to practice this this whole week. Start smelling things. See I if- smell everything all the time. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Ew. Oh. Speaking of smelling... You want to smell good? Do you want to smell good? Do you smell bad? Look, do you want to smell a bunch of different smells that are delicious? Do you want to not smell death? You should try Humble Bee Herbal's Beodorant. It comes in three different scents that will... Lovely scents. Not putrefied. You're bound to love. It does not smell like putrefied kangaroo. Also soaps and solid perfumes and all good scents. So surround yourself with good scents. Check it out. Have and, some good you know sense what? and buy some good And here's sense. the thing. You if, get it? If you, that's hilarious. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have a sense of smell, uh, just be guaranteed that they all smell wonderful and yeah. then people can smell wonderful smells on you yeah. and you don't smell like kangaroo. And don't murder people just because you can't smell. It okay, sucks, but... Great long commercial. Yeah. Right. And a lot of them were cut up and placed into barrels and... A lot of them were forced to repeat phrases which were recorded and then played oh over the phone to obtain money and to reassure friends that they were fine. That's the worst. So that's another reason that's that people didn't come looking because they thought that, oh, she left me a message saying... And they know, like, when they're recording that message, like, yeah, they're going to hear that's this it. after I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Um, okay, this was an interesting part. Killing wasn't exactly a stressful activity for Bunting. No, of course not. He had some rather odd things he liked to do while performing these heinous acts. No. Not only did he force his victims to call the murderers by regal titles like Sir or... What a dick! He also liked to torture them while listening to music. In particular, he liked to listen to an album called Throwing Copper by the band Lie. You might not, that might not sound familiar to you at all, but if you listen to it, it is so quintessentially 90s music, and it's like, guaranteed when I play you the song, you will know what it, like, at least one of the songs you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember that song playing on the radio all the time. What? Wow. Let's pause. Okay. Okay, so I just paused and played the music. Okay, so I will say this. It's super 90s, and that guy, the murderer, sucks. (laughs) That's, like, so sadistic. And it's not even, like, it's not even anything heavy. It's super, like, alternative. Yeah, really mellow. Mellow. Yeah, this guy's the worst. This is what he's murdering people to. Also, give it a listen. What are they called? Live. Go see... Throwing Copper Live. Yeah, go check it's it like out. The, the mo- I mean, all, almost all the songs on the album were played on the radio, like, all the time. Um, and I'm just going to say that, I mean, I'm not going to try and be rude or whatever, but it's 90s. So it's take that as you very will. Very 90s. Um, he loved it so much that he played... Tapes of the album during a couple of the murders, and he had, okay, he had two different CDs of the album that were found at the crime scenes. So he had a couple tapes and a couple CDs of the same album. I mean, you don't want them to get worn out, or if they get scratched, you know, or if the tape, like, the thing gets eaten, you know? You gotta have backups. 
Yeah, reports from one of the killers during trial state that Bunting insisted on listening to this album while killing, and that it seemed to put him at peace. Well, it is pretty peaceful music, I will say that. <laughs> but why not, like, play it before he kills someone to put him at peace? I mean, I think, like, during, So he before, doesn't kill anyone! No, it pumps him up, apparently. He gets pumped up to, like, <laughs> hum, hum, I mean, hum, don't, hum, we don't want to, like... Hum, hum. <laughs> That sounds pretty spot on. We don't want to get sued. True. Yikes. I'll edit that down so it's only two seconds. I just feel like you wrote a brand new 90s song (laughs) that sounds like all the other 90s songs. Um, And then the final murder was executed, was, sorry, the final murder was conducted in the bank vault um, after the barrels had been moved there for storage. Of the scene encountered in this building, one Snowden officer said, it was a scene from the worst nightmare you've ever had. I don't think any of us were, was prepared for what we saw. The building was littered with tools used by the killer to torture oh, and murder God. the victims, including knives, a bloodstained saw, double barrel oh, shotgun, no. coils of rope, rolls of tape, rubber gloves, cloths, a variac metallurgy tool, hmm? which is a tool... Metallurgy? Metallurgy, yeah. Uh-huh. Which is a tool used to, like, copper plate... Uh-huh. Metal, I think. Uh-huh. So electricity. <sighs> uh, la, la, la. That the killers used to administer electric shocks. Mm. Nightmare. This is what so, nightmares are made of. We're going to what we all think of as the beginning. We all do. We all think of it <laughs> as the beginning. God created heaven and earth. And this asshole. And then Bunting's murder spree began in mm. August 1992 with the murder of Clinton... Clinton Trezise, who was 22. Clinton was a young man who had befriended Wagner and Barry, and he actually lived with Barry at one time, so probably another one of his victims. One day they invited him over to Bunting's house. He was sitting in the living room. Why is Barry not murdered? Just wait. Oh, is Barry murdered? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I'm not, you know. Oh. So, Bunting encouraged them to invite him over because, you know, he had a plan. Uh-huh. So, they're all sitting in the living room, and then Bunting came up behind uh, behind Tris size while he was watching TV and smacked him in the back of the head with a shovel. Um, Bunting accused Tresize of being a pedophile and referred to him in conversations after his murder as quote-unquote happy pants. Whatever that means. That's just, like, so rude. So rude. Happy pants? So yeah, because you're not fucking happy. Beat him with this shovel until, like, basically his skull oh, was no. broken into a million pieces. And he died. Um, and he was buried in in a shallow grave Aww. and he wasn't found until two years after his murder in the yard in a shallow grave uh this one wasn't in the yard this Aww. one was in another just in the grave um oh because you said there'd be more night yeah in august of 1994 is when they found him in lower light south australia Aww. his sister at the time tried to file a missing persons report um like a couple weeks after she hadn't heard from him right and but for some reason it never got filed. Oh God! And his brother thought that he just picked up, packed up, and moved away. 
He was like, I don't, I just totally thought that so he wanted to change the like, life. He's missing. The brother yeah. is like, oh, don't bother him. And then three years later, his mother filed a police, a missing persons report. So the mom also thought that maybe he. Or just didn't have the best relationship. I'm not sure. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Um, it was three years before Bunting murdered again, and Trisize's murder remained unsolved for some time. And in 1997, he was the subject of two episodes of the Australian television show Australia's Most Wanted. Ah. Bunting watched an episode of the show <gasps> with Vlasakis and his mother. Um, Who? Vlasakis is... Okay, I thought that I written, wrote it up there somewhere. But James or Jamie Vlasakis is his... Is Bunting's stepson. Okay. He is the son of... Vanessa. The, right. Okay. So, uh... He watched it with his stepson. So they're all, like, watching it, the fit, like, husband, wife, stepson, mm -hmm. watching Australia's Most Wanted, mm -hmm. and Bunting boasted, that's my handiwork, and revealed to Vlasakis that he had murdered Trisize while living at Waterloo Corner Road in Salisbury, uh -huh. and that he disposed of Trisize's body in lower light with Wagner and Lane's assistance. So, obviously, the kid went to the police immediately. Well, I mean, that was, he told him in 1997, so the kid had been murdered in 92. Oh, God. So. Five years later. Yeah. What uh, an asshat. Yeah. So he did not go to the police? Well, no. Oh, God. Now I'm going to introduce another person. Oh, I don't even have... Okay. This woman's name is Suzanne Allen... Okay. She's 47. Yeah. Alan was also a friend of Bunting's, and she had a mentally handicapped man named Ray Davies, mm -hmm. who was 26, living in a little caravan in her backyard. Mm-hmm. And apparently Davies and Suzanne, Ray Davies and Suzanne Allen kind of had a little fling for a bit, some kind of love if he had triangle. i mean um, first of all the age difference and the fact that he had some kind of like yeah. mental so i'm not sure yeah exactly i mean what was it going feels like there. she's kind of taking advantage well one day she accuses davies of being a pedophile to bunting uh, he's with you and you're like way older <laughs> yeah you're the pedophile <laughs> she accused him so naturally um bunting and wagner uh, decide that they're going to capture him. That is so sad. So they break into his little trailer, grab him, put him in the trunk of trunk or boot the of boot, the car, yes. and they drove him somewhere. All because to... she probably like got mad at him over something. Probably. <sighs> they beat him up out Aww. in the wilderness, and then they took him back to Bunting's house. Uh, Elizabeth Harvey, who was uh, Harvey, Bunting's wife, assisted in his torture she was convinced what? that Davies was a pedophile, and I think that's right. Okay, um, so this makes more sense when he takes up, like, a whole living room wall with wool and pictures if she's, like, she's like oh, okay. part of it, Because apparently too. that's all he talked about. That's all he would ever talk uh, about were pedophiles and how horrible they were and how they needed to die. How do these people find each other? I don't know. Well, she, I don't, yeah, I don't know. He had convinced her that, she, that Davies was a pedophile, and then um, Davies was garroted with some jumper cables. Oh, no. After he was put in a bath. Aww. 
and before he died, they attacked him with clubs and beat his genitals. They even crushed one of his toes with a pair of pliers just mm. to make him suffer. And then they buried him in a hole in the ground of Bunting's backyard. And Davies was never reported missing because apparently nobody even knew <sighs> that he was gone. That's so didn't sad. Didn't know that he was there. I don't know. Maybe he didn't have any family or friends he, yeah. to report him missing. Ugh. So, you know, good old Suze, Suzanne Allen, she becomes obsessed with bunting. The older woman? Yes. Okay. And they begin a sexual relationship. Oh. Even though he was still married to Veronica. And also... Oh, Veronica. Oh, I miss. I misspoke last time. I said Vanessa. Oh, she was yeah. someone Veronica. else. Veronica. And also having an affair with Elizabeth Harvey. What? His friends? Oh, okay. Elizabeth Harvey... Okay. ...was his girlfriend that he was having an affair with, uh-huh. not his friend's wife. His friend's wife was Elizabeth... No, you said bu- it was Bunting's wife, so he got married to her later? I don't know that they actually got married or if it was like oh. common law. Okay. But he ends up moving okay. in with her. So he... Is married to Veronica. He's married to Veronica, but he's having an affair this with... this older woman and... Having an affair. Elizabeth. Yes. Okay. So he must have been a smooth talker. I mean, he must have been something, or they're just, well, like, they're just super really... into his, like, racist, murdering ass. Yeah. Really just... <sighs> outstanding people. Way to go, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, Not that we're so... doing much better, but... Yeah, we're... Yeah, we are. Let's not compare <laughs> Uh, her constant sexual advances started to annoy him. Oh, so he didn't go for it? At first, I think it was nice, but then it was just too much. Yeah. She was, like, giving him letters and, like, yeah, always, like, pestering him and, so like, you know, being, like, we're letters. in love. Yeah. And um, <laughs> in November of 96, Suzanne Allen disappears. Oh, no. Her family reports are missing, so uh-huh. police go to visit her home, and her normally neat and tidy house was trashed. And her pets were still there, so... And it wasn't like her to just leave her pets yeah, and not look not. after them. Um, and her remains were found buried above his in the garden of the house of Salisbury North. Of the... Th- this is when they found, like, all the bodies and stuff. Not, like, immediately. Right, but her body was buried above the guy above that Davies. she had murdered. Oh. Yes. Uh, Poetic justice. Wrapped in 11 different plastic bags. Wow. And she was chopped up and put into different bags. Wow. Her death I mean, was... They're going to bury her. What's the point? Her death was concealed and they continued to collect her pension, but mm. they later claimed that she had actually died of a heart attack and they just and wanted they just to collect to her... chop up her body. Well, they wanted to collect her pension, so that's what they were guilty of, but they didn't kill her. Right. She died of a heart attack. But they still chopped up her body. Easier to move! She was a little heavy. I feel like you have, like, multiple people... She was a bigger woman. You're going to bury her anyway. <laughs> Oh, God. So then Bunting moves in with Elizabeth Harvey, who he was having an affair with. Yeah. And... She must have been a real winner, too. Oh, wait. Okay. Elizabeth Harvey is the mother of James of Lasakis, not oh, Veronica. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So he's, like, he was hanging out on woman, his side piece's house with her kids. Hanging out with her kids. She's got two sons two from different... Uh, different fathers. Mm-hmm. There's James or Jamie Vlasakis and Troy Ude, Um in a town called Murray Bridge. That's where Elizabeth and her kids lived and he moved in with her. Out of Murray his Bridge. wife's house right. into this. Both James and Troy had been sexually abused by James' bio dad as kids. Oh no. 
Bunting regularly communicated to Vlasakis his hatred for pedophiles and homosexuals. Okay, so so she's thinking, like, I mean, not to say what she's thinking, but she's thinking, like, <laughs> this guy is going to keep my kids safe from pedophiles because he's out murdering them. That's, like, his main goal. Yeah, and the last guy was just a pedophile. And, yeah, so at least he's not going to, like, hurt my children. Sure. He's going to, like, need a, save them. They need a dad figure right, and their dads and the are gone. Opposite's going to happen. She's going to, like, murder any pedophile. He's going to murder any pedophile. Mm-hmm, he's going to keep them safe. <sighs> It's okay. okay. He's moved well, in with them. You know. I just feel like don't bring murderers around your children. He's raising them as a, as the stepdad. Oh, good. Okay. So, August 1997, Michael Gardner, an openly gay man mm. who had had a troubled life. His stepfather was a bigot and hated him because he was gay. And uh, at the age of 14, he was put into foster care. Oh, my God. Yeah. At 14. That's yeah. just... People are the worst. Yep. At age 19, he ended up renting a house near, or renting a room in a house near Wagner's home in northern Adelaide. The woman whose house he rented um, the room from, her name was Nicole Zarita, and she seemed really nice, and, like, she was helping him kind of come to terms with how he wanted to express himself, and, like, Mm -hmm. I saw an interview with her, and she seemed like a really nice person. She was like, I just wanted him to have, like, a safe place to be himself, and, like, she's like, we would paint nails together, and, like hang out and gossip and whatever and like he was really sweet and just trying to figure things out you know he's just a young, trying to give him like young a supportive kid. home that yeah. he hasn't had for like years so nikki <laughs> nicole zaritas mm-hmm. who he's living with yes her cousin mm-hmm. vicky mills mm-hmm. who also lives nearby i'm gonna say these are so many v female names i guess it's popular in australia oh yeah maybe i don't know but uh vicky mills yeah was having an affair with wagner Wagner, like Wagner. keep it in your pants. No, that was Bunting's. Oh first. shit! Okay, but yes, they're all Wagner having affairs. Be, yeah, keep okay. it in your pants. Okay, fair, fair assessment. Wait, wait, Wagner is the one who's living with Wagner? Barry. Yes, no, yes, he was. Yes, okay. they were together, and then yes. Okay, one day something happened involving Vicky Mills' children, oh, and Gardner, that put Wagner and Mills in a rage. So what I, from what I heard, like. <laughs> He was in the house. The kids were playing around. He was just kind of, like, playing, like, tag with them or something. Which and, one? Uh, uh, Gardner. Like, the old... So, he was, like, 19. He's, like, hanging out because he lives Go at... on the other window. <sighs> okay, so the okay. young kid is so, Gardner. So, Gardner is the 19-year-old. Okay. Who's living at Nikki Zarita's house. Yes. I think they were either at... I think they were at Cousin Vicky's house... Cousin Vicky's kids are running around. Mm-hmm. Gardner's just being a 19-year-old kid, like, playing with them or whatever, yeah. being silly. Yeah. And I guess he, like, grabbed one of them because they yeah. were running. Right. And he accidentally put his hand on the kid's mouth. Oh, no. And to that, uh, all of a sudden, Wagner and Mills decide he's a pedophile and oh, he needs to God. die. Oh, my God. So one day when Nikki Zarita is not home, Wagner and Bunting grab Gardner, drag him out of the house... And they took him to a shed in the back of Bunting's house. There he was tied up, tortured, and strangled. I just feel like if your whole thing is to, like, murder pedophiles, then you need to do a lot more research. You need to, like, actually murder pedophiles? And also, like, the torturing... Clearly, I'm not saying, like, go murder pedophiles. I'm saying, like, clearly this guy was just into murdering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, he's torturing, he's he just a sadist. derived 
great pleasure from other people's pain. And bad music. Sorry, I said it. <laughs> you said it. Um, the, after his murder, they searched the whole house looking for his ID and bank cards. And they couldn't find him. They, um, they packed up all his stuff and they packed up some of Nicole Zarita's stuff to make it look like Gardner had left and stole stuff from her. That's so awful. Ugh. It's not enough to, like, torture and murder him, but you also have to try and make him look bad, too. And for some reason, Vlasakis had visited her house after the event, and she not confided to him, but, like, told him that she had found Gardner's wallet, like, under the bed. Mm-hmm. And then Bunting had this other guy named Frederick Brooks call Nicole Zarita and impersonate Gardner, trying to get his wallet back, saying that Gardner, like, left, but he wants his identification back because he needs it. And That's then she was... like, a bad story. Well, and then she was like, well, then come give me my stuff back yeah, and I'll give you the ID. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you just stole from me and you want, like, your ID back? Like, that's such so a bad story. they kept, like, trying to change the story, being like, well, you just need to, like, send it to me and, like, because yeah, I'm in the situation. And then I'll come give you your stuff Fucking back. idiots. Idiots. So here's the one you've been waiting for. Oh. A month later, on October 1997... Barry slash Vanessa Lane. Okay, yeah. Vanessa, who had been Vanessa. in a relationship with Wagner at the time. If you at, can call it that. At, he was in a relationship at the time that Bunting first met them in 1991. Yeah. Um, Bunting had also learned of Lane telling others, including his wife, Veronica, about the earlier murder of Clinton Trezise. Oh. Trezise. Uh-huh. Lane had assisted Bunting in concealing Trisice's right. body in 1997. Oh, no. So, yeah. Concealing Trisice's body. Yeah. Now, in 1997, Barry was dating a man named Thomas Trevelyan. Mm-hmm. Not that you can call him man because he was 18. But you know Another how child. Barry likes some young. Oh, Barry... On the day of Barry's murder, Wagner, Bunting, and oh, Trevelyan... on the day of Barry's murder? Uh-oh. <laughs> Wagner, Bunting, and Trevelyan went into his house, grabbed him, and tortured him. Wagner, the guy who was molested by him as a child. Bunting and Trevelyan, the stepson? Trevelyan, the one who was his current boyfriend. Barry Lane's oh, current boyfriend. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. I know. I told you. It's I'm getting sorry. confusing. Yeah, I need that whiteboard. Sorry, okay. Sorry. Okay. So, yes, you're correct. Um, Barry Lane was forced by Bunting to call his mother. Oh, no. He told her he would be moving to Queensland and that he wanted nothing further to do with her. Oh, God. And they made him say a lot of fucked up shit to his mother so that she would be like, well, no, yeah, I'm not going to expect to talk to you. Yeah, because that's believable because they probably had plenty of conversations where he was a complete dick and was like, I never want to have you in my life. Yeah. Like, they don't think. They're just not <laughs> thinking. No. Uh, they had crushed his toes and toenails oh. with pliers. Okay. They beat him up, and after gaining his financial details, they strangled him. His body was rolled in a carpet and left in the house for a few days. Ew. To be putrid. <laughs> before they dismembered him and put him in a barrel. Just the fact that they're, like, dismembering all these people. It's, like, that takes so much... Time just and, like, evilness. stomach to yeah, be able to stomach that's that. Yeah, disgusting. After Lane's murder, Bunting assumed control of Lane's vehicle and claimed his welfare pay- payments. Uh-huh. It was alleged that Bunting only associated with Lane to ga- gain further information about other pedophiles uh-huh. in the area. 
Ten days after his death, a friend reports him missing to the police. The friend said Lane told her about Clinton Trisize's death, but because of because of the conversation his mother had with him, yeah. the police believed that he had moved to Queensland oh and decided God, not to file it. a report. I guess they were thinking. Mm-hmm. That's so dumb. A month later, in November 1997... You know, I was thinking, too, the the first kid who got murdered and the Clinton. sister yep. being like, he's missing, and then what if they called the brother, and the brother's like, nah, he just, like, ran away, yep. and they're and like, they oh. Well, the mom didn't report him for three years. Oh, that's so awful. So a month later, November 1997, Thomas Trevilian, who we meant, who we said was Barry Lane's latest partner. Well. At 18. Victim. Right. Uh who was also involved in the murder of Barry Lane. Yes. He moved in with Wagner following Barry Lane's death. Okay, so the two victims... Lived together. Lived together, okay. He was described as having psychiatric problems... And wore only army clothing... Oh, no. And was obsessed with all things military. That's not a good sign. He would at times run outside his house with a knife if he heard unfamiliar noises. Oh... And was known to regularly travel long distances on foot. Okay. Okay, I don't know why they threw that in there, but good for him. Not, I mean, not how, polluting. how far are we talking? I don't know. Bunting decided that Trevelyan had to die after finding well, out... He wasn't living with him. Yeah, but he found out that he had to, that Trevelyan had told a cousin of his about the his involvement with Lane's murder. Uh-huh. So we got to close we up, gotta tie up loose ends. cousin, too, then. Bunting told others that Trevelyan had started to fuck up and go mental, and that he would be a risk because he was unpredictable. Uh. Trevelyan was driven to Kersbrook in the Adelaide Hills by Bunting and Wagner. He was forced to stand on a box while a noose was fastened around his neck, and they kicked the box out from under him. Trevelyan's body was found that same month, and police initially treated Trevelyan's death as a suicide. Okay. Because I just feel like it'd be like kind of hard to kick the box out from under yourself. That's, no, that's how no. a lot of people when you like a chair maybe. Yeah, but no, it's like a milk carton or something. Okay. Like you just have something to stand on and then you can kick it. I mean, okay. not telling people to do it, but right, it's very common okay. if you're hanging yourself. Okay, I'm not okay. Okay, I mean, I feel bad because at the beginning I was like, why don't they kill Barry? But then it's like, just lock him up forever. You know, like he's a pedophile. Just lock him up forever. Mm-hmm. You don't need to like torture him. You know, ah. He didn't, he mean, he wasn't a great guy, let's be real. <laughs> he wasn't that great, no. I still feel kind of bad saying I have to kill him, but... So, yeah. So, six months go by, April 1998, and this young chap, is that what they say? Wait, Mate? okay, so the one, the last one they killed, yeah. this kid was probably, he probably had, like, PTSD from being assaulted and then having to live with his like abuser for so long and then all ugh. kinds of things going on yes he, he had uh yeah a lot of mental problems um and they just kill him because he because he's a liability he's no. too risky they can't they don't involve him, him in a murder you know? <laughs> know also don't murder just don't but but okay. whatever they're going they're doing it they're doing it oh. <laughs> <laughs> who am i to stop them uh <laughs> horrible oh. okay uh-huh. April 1998, so that's like six months later, okay. after this other guy died, uh, Gavin Porter, who was Vlasakis's friend, Vlasakis is the stepson. Thank you. He was his friend from Victoria, 
and he was a heroin addict and schizophrenic. Oh, honey. And he moved into the house that Bunting and Lasakis lived in oh, with no. uh, Harvey, the the girlfriend slash common law wife what? or something. Wait, wait, wait. He's living with his first wife. No, no. He's not living with his first wife. He's living with Elizabeth Harvey, oh. his like mistress or whatever, okay. and her kids. Okay. I don't know where I got. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, and I'm my... I know. I'm sorry. It's very confusing. Okay. Imagine how long this took me to piece together. Yeah. 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 Because <sighs> uh, apparently Gavin Porter and Vlasakis were both kind of doing heroin together mm-hmm. and hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, and But for some reason, Bunting was okay with Vlasakis doing heroin, well, but not his Porter. Kid. It's his like, stepson. stepson. Yeah. His so kid. Bunting referred to Porter, a heroin addict, as quote-unquote, a waste mm-hmm. who no longer deserved to live. Yes, and that's for him to decide because... Well, because one day <laughs> he sat on the couch and was pricked by a used syringe Ooh. discarded by Porter on the couch. And he was like, got to go. How do you know it wasn't go. his stepson who left exactly. the needle? <laughs> got to go. Wow. Um, one day when Vlasakis was away from home... Porter was murdered by Bunting and Wagner while sleeping in his car in the driveway of Bunting's house after working on the car. So he's like passed out in the in the mm-hmm. back seat. They pulled him out. Um, after they beat and tortured him, after beating and torturing him, they killed him and they put him in the garage. And then when Vlasakis came home, they showed him the dead body of his friend. Why? So, I have no idea. Like and this. Is why you don't do drugs. Apparently. What the fuck? Then they took him over to the barrels and opened them up and showed him the bodies in the barrels. His stepson? Yep. What the fuck? And naturally, the uh, Vlasakis was revolted and scared yeah. and agreed to go along with whatever Buntings said because, you know. He didn't want to end up in the barrels. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh... A couple months later, mm-hmm. August 1998, um, so at one point Vlasakis had confided in Bunting that his half-brother Troy had molested him when he was 13, Uh-oh. and I would assume because Vlasakis' father had molested yeah. Troy that he was, Troy was older, yeah. so he probably took it out on Vlasakis, yeah, not saying that's to, like, right, but... understand his right, own ex- abuse. Right, so yeah. he had confided that oh, God. into Bunting, and Bunting responded by setting up Yude's murder. Okay, after he saw all the bodies and everything, and then he's like, oh, I'm gonna sick this sick fuck on my brother. I mean, he might have, like... I, I don't know what all the brainwashing that's happening, because, like, this guy's raising him in... Constantly talking to him about pedophiles and stuff. Yeah, but he murdered his friend. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. He could have convinced him that it's was necessary. So, or maybe he was just kind of, like, deflecting, where he's like... Maybe. No, I'm fine. Like, I could... I, I know of a pedophile, even. I I'm, like, totally know. cool with you cool. killing. Don't... <laughs> don't hurt me. I don't know. Mm. But, so the group, they visited Yude's house... Dragged him from his bed. After beating him up in the bathroom, they then oh. tape recorded his voice and tormented him. Oh my God. Wagner made sure the job was finished by strangling Troy, while Bunting was exuberant about the situation. 
This was the first murder that Vlasakis participated in. Oh, God. They put Troy's body in a barrel in the garage, which was starting to smell. Ew. So far, all the police have are a few missing persons reports and some potential social security frauds. Other than that, they don't really know what's going on. Okay, in this tiny town, all these people are, like, going missing. Yep. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. No, this is not in Snowtown. Oh. This is happening, like, in Adelaide, in the outskirts of Adelaide. Okay. It's a little bit bigger. Um, actually, not much actually happened in Snowtown other than the bodies were discovered and one person oh. was murdered there. Okay. Uh, a month later, September 1998, I don't know if you remember, I mentioned Frederick Brooks at one point. I he had made don't a, He had made a phone call impersonating one of the guys to collect... Uh, one of the murdered? One of the murdered victims, victims. yeah. Okay. He's 18. He's also an intellectually disabled oh, no. uh, man. He was the son of Jody Elliott, who Jody Elliott and Elizabeth Hayden are their sisters. And that's and her son. Elizabeth Hayden. No, Elizabeth Hayden okay. is Mark Hayden's wife. Mark Hayden is the one that's like not mentioned much, but he helps do some cleanup and he rented out the bank. Elizabeth Hayden. Who is with... Elizabeth Harvey and Elizabeth oh, Hayden. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh, shit. Yes. Okay. Elizabeth Hayden is married to Mark. Elizabeth Harvey is the mother of God. Vlasakis and God. Troy. Okay, Elizabeth Hayden mm-hmm. is cousin... Sisters? Is sisters with <laughs> Jody Elliott, yeah. whose Who's child the of... is Frederick Brooks. Who is mentally... So it's Mark Hayden's nephew... Okay. Mentally, Mentally disabled. Challenged, and he made a phone call impersonating someone. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> Brooks oh, is invited over to Bunting's house the to kid. hang out. Yep. Okay. When he got there, he was ambushed by Wagner. Why? Bunting's and Vlasakis. He was stripped and beaten. Why? Brooks was given electric shocks to his oh. testicles and... <sighs> He had a lit sparkler shoved <gasps> into his penis. No. Some, one of the videos that I watched called it the eye of the penis. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I have never heard that before. Me either, but I guess it's like a needle, you know, the eye of the needle. I don't... Thread the penis. I just... No! <laughs> I don't think it works like that. Oh and god. they thought it was so much fun, they did it again. <gasps> These people are horrible. What the fuck? His toes were crushed with pliers. Why? His nose and ears were burned with lit cigarettes and lighters. You always find these horrible, horrible stories. For some reason, they decided to take a syringe. I'm going to have nightmares now. No. And they filled it with water and injected it into his testicles. No. Eventually, they stopped. Why are they so mean to this kid? I have no idea. I have no idea. Because he was, they said he was a pedophile. No. They eventually stuffed a rag in his mouth and let him choke to death. Oh, God. Brooke's body was moved to a car, which was later collected by Mark Hayden. The body was later located by police and the... The uncle of this kid. Yep. Uncle takes Mark. Takes the car. Takes the body. Fuck you, barrels, Uncle Mark. Delivers it to the bank. And Mark Hayden continued to access welfare payments for Brooks. Whoa. Yep. God, these people are evil. (laughs) Yes. Uh, How many 
many more do we have? Couple more. Oh God. Okay. October nineteen ninety eight. Vlasakis and Bunting are sitting in a car, and they were bored, and they saw Gary O'Dwyer, twenty nine, hobbling across the road. O'Dwyer was intellectually disabled. He lived alone on Francis Street in Murray Bridge. His disabilities arose after a car accident early in life. O'Dwyer had seen, or sorry, O'Dwyer was seen by Bunting as an easy target. Bunting, Wagner, and Blasakis, they got O'Dwyer alone in Bunting's house, and, wait, was it his house? Um, and they act like they were just going to hang out until Bunting gave the signal, and they all held O'Dwyer down. They beat him and tortured him with things that they had used other, on other victims, oh. including the electrocution. They recorded his voice giving financial details as well as making statements to be used to put family members off their scent. And then he was strangled in his, oh, it was his home. It was in his own home and his body was dismembered and put in a barrel. Oh my God. (sighs) A month later. All because they just saw him walking across the street. uh They wanted to, like you said, he's a sick fuck. He just enjoys Mm -hmm. killing but he's justifying it. And he picks people that are, like... Oh Easy targets. Yeah, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. So in November 1998, Elizabeth Hayden, the wife of Mark Hayden, mm-hmm. uh, they shared a house in, in a suburb of Adelaide. Uh, Elizabeth's sister Jody Elliott, who had a brief relationship with Bunting in 1998, because oh, everyone did. Mm-hmm. Jody lived at the rear of the Hayden's house. Elizabeth was Bunting and Wagner's second-to-last murder victim and the only female victim. If well, you don't count, I'm gonna count Suzanne, Suzanne Allen. I'm counting Suzanne. Okay. Well, it was the only one they were charged with. Elizabeth was murdered while Mark Hayden and Jody Elliott were away from the house. Bunting claimed that she behaved very sexually towards him. And this meant that she was dirty and treacherous and needed to die. God, this guy sucks. She was tortured and killed in her own home before her body was put in a barrel. Elizabeth was reported missing by her brother. Garion Sinclair uh, filed a missing persons report with the police at 3 p.m. Brother, the following day. Their brother, right? It's Elizabeth, Elizabeth and, and Jody's, Jody's brother. brother yeah. Okay. Because hey, Elizabeth didn't file it. Well, Elizabeth's dead. You mean Jody? I mean Jody didn't file the shit. Well, remember, she's had a fling with Bunting, so maybe she's like, what's up? Uh, um, Hayden would later... Both sisters had an affair with him? No. Elizabeth yeah. is with Mark. Yeah. Other Elizabeth is with <laughs> Bunting. <Damn it. laughs> Wait, who's Jody? <laughs> oh, fuck. Elizabeth, Mark's wife's sister. Yeah, wasn't Jody the one that was murdered? No, Elizabeth's murdered. Jody and Mark went away from the home. Uh, then Bunting and Wagner came in, murdered Elizabeth. Uh huh. Mark's wife. Yeah. Okay. What? Okay. And Mark Hayden would later assist in concealing his wife's murder. Why 
Why? The investigation began to take shape after Elizabeth Hayden's brother reported her missing within days of her disappearance. Okay, Mark is the one that you were like, oh, he kind of like he just comes in body. He hang- well, this he, dude is awful. He is. He hangs out. So he was always hanging out with Wagner and Bunting, yeah. but was like, he, they said he didn't really talk much and he just kind of like, whatever... Wagner seemed more like the one that was like, I like whatever you want me to do, Bunting, I'll do, I'll smash, bash, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other one was kind of like the cleanup crew. Mm-hmm. But he was okay. like, but he was also present at some of the murders, but just like, I don't know. God, okay. Do you think he knew? Yeah, he totally knew. <sighs> He's like, yeah, no, it's fine. I'll be gone. You can kill my wife. Yeah, yeah. Me and Jody will be out of the house. What the hell? Um. Her so, Elizabeth's brother obviously did not believe Mark's, Mark Hayden's explanations for her disappearance. Oh, what'd he say? He said that their marriage was over and she packed up and left. Uh-huh. When Which... she's alone with, like, family and connections and she yeah. just... Yeah. And the brother said that he didn't believe she would leave and not take her two sons who were oh, young. Oh, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. She left kids? Mm-hmm. Oh. Not that she... I mean... Yeah. Back. Police found it suspicious that her husband had not reported her missing. Uh, yeah. And investigated her disappearance. Elizabeth Hayden was closely affiliated with all the murderers. So the police actually looked into her disappearance. Mm-hmm. Okay. They all fell under close scrutiny once police started their investigation. Mm-hmm. Her car, which was a Land Cruiser, had disappeared, so police were on the alert for that car. Witnesses say they saw Wagner and Bunting loading her car, the Land Cruiser, with trash bags about the time she had disappeared. Oh, God. After Elizabeth Hayden's disappearance, the police installed a listening device in Mark Hayden's house in Smithfield Plains, recordings from which were later used as evidence in court. Now we'll talk about the last murder. <laughs> Man, it's been a long road. Okay. We're gonna talk about David Johnson. Is he also connected? As... He's connected because, uh, and I, okay, mm-hmm. he is, and I don't know why they only put that. It's so, it's so confusing. I I don't even want to try and figure this out. But mm-hmm. he is also a stepbrother of Lasakis. Mm-hmm. But in the, like, all the things, they never mentioned, like, the three of them living together. So I don't know if he was, like, the older one who, like, lived on his, he, like, lived, didn't live with uh-huh. them. Or he was, like, or maybe he from lived the with his dad, dad or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Because they just brought him in at the end and they were like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, this guy. David Johnson was lured to the disused bank in Snowtown by his stepbrother, Jamie Vlasakis, on, no, on May 9th, 1999. Johnson was not a homosexual, but Bunting would often refer to him as a quote-unquote faggot Mm. and say he needed to die. Vlasakis had earlier told Johnson about a computer for sale near Clare, South Australia, because I guess he was, like, looking to buy a computer, so Mm -hmm. he was like, oh, I know someone that's selling one, hop in the car with me. Vlasakis drove him down to, drove him to Snowtown to ostensibly look at the computer. Shortly after Johnson entered the bank building, he was grabbed by Wagner around the throat and strangled. Wagner then applied handcuffs to Johnson, and he was forced by Bunting to read a script Bunting had earlier prepared. 
He recited confessions of crimes and acts he had not committed oh my God. and gave his financial information. This is how they're going to get get away with it. Yeah. Okay. Johnson's voice was recorded on a computer equipment with a microphone. So they did have there a was computer. a computer, just not oh. for him. Wagner and Blasakis drove to Port Wakefield and attempted to access Johnson's bank account, leaving Bunting and Mark Hayden with Johnson in the disused bank. Mm-hmm. Wagner and Blasakis were unsuccessful in withdrawing funds from Johnson's accounts. Good. When they returned to Snowtown, Johnson was dead. Mm. He was the only victim to have died in Snowtown. Mm. But Wagner wasn't done yet. He said he was upset that he didn't get to enjoy playing with Johnson. So he thought he'd have a little more fun. They then dismembered Johnson and took parts of his flesh. Oh. They went across the street, because apparently they knew someone, they had a friend who had a house across the street. Uh-huh. Brought over this mystery meat. No. Fried it up. No. And ate it. Oh. The guy had no idea what he was eating. Oh, oh God. <laughs> and... Yeah, so they ate him. Oh, we didn't get to torture this guy. I'm so bummed. Let's go Let's eat make him. someone eat him. <laughs> what? Oh. <sighs> okay, so, and then it said... Man, why don't they all turn on him and, like, fucking kill him? It said, upon looking at the first victims he put in those barrels, he had reportedly, Bunting reportedly said, they're rotting very nicely. And he oh, took some pleasure in watching the bodies of the victims fall apart in the barrels. God. When Mark later showed, or when Mark was later showed his wife's remains in the barrels, he supposedly laughed and didn't appear upset. Well, yeah, why would he? He's a psychopath. <laughs> the discovery of the barrels in May 1999 in Snowtown was, uh, was the culmination of five years of criminal investigation oh my god elizabeth five years and how many people died while they were investigating like well elizabeth hayden's land cruiser was spotted at the old like wrapped it up a little bit quicker (laughs) so many pedophiles there's so many more no i mean not the murderers the police oh (laughs) Oh, yeah i don't well they didn't have much to go on oh god Um, also like people were blabbing all over town not when they were killed. Mm. Elizabeth Hayden's land cruiser was spotted at the old brick building that used to be the bank. The It was said that the movement of unfamiliar vehicles in Snowtown, a small town where strangers stand out, and loading activity at the old bank led to the bank being searched. The mm. smell from inside the Snowtown oh, vault God. was so bad the police needed breathing gear. Oh, I can't even imagine. Police involvement with the then unlinked crimes had begun with the discovery of hu- of the human remains in lower light, which were <sighs> Clinton's. It is believed that the bodies had been held in several locations in South Australia before being moved to Snowtown in 1999. They so had they were like a couple of different over. properties, like a little on my property, a little on yours. Oh my God. Of the Snowtown location, one police source said. From what I understand, there is no person involved in those murders from within Snowtown or the surrounding district. They were murdered elsewhere, and the drums were brought to Snowtown because it was a quiet little town, and there was a premises, and that, and there was a premises ideal for the persons involved. Can you imagine being like the coroner, and having to go through all like, 
what strong people corners <laughs> shit i know oh god yeah barrels of bodies just like the and they said they because they the... at first when they saw that when they got the bodies and were pulling out the pieces mm. like obviously they don't know who they are mm-hmm. And they're just pulling out pieces and pieces. how many people are going to be in there. Yep. You have to piece it all together. And it was like a big puzzle. It's just got to smell so bad. So examiners, luckily, attempting oh. to identify the remains, found that the remains had mummified rather than dissolved. Oh my god. The latter being the apparent intention of storing the bodies in barrels of acid. But uh. the killers had chosen hydrochloric acid... Which mummified the remains oh, instead of... On accident they did? Or yeah, kidding. instead of oh. sulfuric acid, which would <laughs> have pretty much made them soup. Uh, and he's like, oh, they're rotting beautifully. They were, like, apparently super well preserved. Like, they could get fingerprints wow. off of them and stuff. Wow, The Snowtown trial was one of the biggest and longest Austra- South uh. Australian... In legal, uh, in South Australian legal history, it had to be so long and expensive. Running for eleven months, whoa! Hearing from two hundred and twenty-seven witnesses, whoa. And costing about fifteen million dollars. Fuck! Do you think they sequestered the jury for eleven well, months? Oh, uh oh. The uh, I put it somewhere in here. I'll come across okay, it, we'll but get to it later. okay. The trial for this case was particularly disturbing, um, not just for what was done to the victims, yes. but for how the killers reacted to it all. Uh-oh. Vlasakis, unlike the others, was actually pretty quick to turn on the others, and he spent six days telling the police everything he knew. Good. He led them to the bodies that were buried in the yards, not just the barrels, so that they so they had everyone's mm-hmm. bodies, um, and he was given a lesser sentence because of this. Yeah, make a deal. And he became basically the star witness. For sure. Because he knew a lot. He said that he was sorry for what he had done. Really? Bunting, on the other hand, barely seemed to care at all. Yeah. When when Justice Brian Martin eventually sentenced Wagner in 2003, the serial killer stated, Pedophiles were doing terrible things to children. The authorities didn't do anything about it. I decided to take action. I took that action. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because clearly you got rid of Even just Even though the majority of Wagner's victims weren't pedophiles. Uh, In 2003, Bunting was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences Good. without the possibility of parole. Vlasakis was sentenced to life with a 26-year minimum. Good. Wagner got life without parole. Good. And Hayden got 25 years in jail with an 18-year minimum sentence. Throw him in forever, too. The presiding judge, Justice Brian Martin, stated that the men were in the business of killing for pleasure. Yeah. And were also incapable of true rehabilitation. I agree. Even though only one murder... Even though only one murder was actually committed in the little town with the population of 400... It still gained a reputation as a place of killing and nothing more. Oh, no. Some people in the town chose to embrace this and created souvenirs and trinkets to sell <gasps> oh, no. to the morbid, morbidly curious visitors. Because there was actually like a bit of a boom when the town and the town's economy kind of followed. Well, yeah, put them on the map. Directly followed the discovery of the bodies. Wow. As people wished to photograph the different things or the different buildings that they had read about in the news. Whether the residents, or however other residents, were not so pleased. No, I'd be pissed. They wished to change the town's image back to one of innocence, the way it had been. 
On and off, the town has considered changing its name in order to, dis- to distance itself from the oh. murderers. I mean, I don't, I'd be pissed just because a bunch of people are coming into your town. Yeah, it was like loaded with just people out. stopping at the bank and taking pictures, yeah. posing. Oh, they're going to change the name? They've been thinking about it on and off. Well, it's been like over 20 years since then. Well, yeah. I mean, like during the trial, they were thinking of it. And like, yeah. I think like most recently it was like 2017 or something. They're thinking about changing it. Oh, wow. People um, are still going to take pictures of that bank. Knock the bank down. Problem solved, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think they're still gonna want, to, but then they're. But you can also see like the house, knock his, it his down. house and stuff. Yeah, um, the house in Sal- Salisbury North, where Bunting lived and buried two bodies, was demolished by its uh, owner, mm-hmm. the South Australian Housing Trust. Mm-hmm. The bank with a four-bedroom attached house was placed on auction in February twenty twelve, but only reached half its reserve price of two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, a bank with a house attached yeah. for 200000 After holding an open deal. house, which raised $700 for charity through charging oh. an entrance fee, the property sold later that year on on September 27th for just over $185,000. And the new owners intend to live in the house while running a business from the bank. Yeah. And they're going to put a plaque commemorating all the victims on That's the outside. nice. See, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, during the trial, like yeah. three jurors quit because yeah. they, they it was too okay, it was too much. You're gonna get like secondary trauma. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be traumatized. You're gonna get PTSD. Like I'm sure they had pictures. I'm sure like they went to detail. I just yeah. I just feel like for, and eleven months of for trial. Jury, yeah, for jurors, it's like that's not even fair. Yeah, so that's they had bad. a problem keeping the jurors. From vomiting, like oh from staying, from leaving. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do they get out? How do they get out of it though? Here in the states, they. I don't like, know. Oh well, like yeah. suck it up. Too bad. We will not offer you any therapy afterwards, but no, we are going to give you no. like eleven dollars a day. So yeah, you're fine. Eleven whole buckaroos. <laughs> um. So, wow. they're in jail. Um. Years later, South Australia's court administration authority confirmed that Wagner launched a Supreme Court application to have a non-parole period set, which could pave the way for his eventual release. Under South... Uh, oh. Wow. Under South Australian law, a prisoner without a parole period can apply to the sentencing court to set one. How? But the court can decline to do so if it believes it would be inappropriate for reasons including the gravity of the offense. Mm. Wagner has written a creepy letter as part of the request. (laughs) He pleads for mercy by saying that he hasn't spent time with his son since he was 18 months old. He has a son? I know. That was a surprise to me. Oh. (laughs) He said, I'm a father of a 21-year-old son. I have been in custody since he was 18 months old and would very much like the chance to spend time with him in the community. The convicted killer continues to plead by saying his behavior while while in prison has been reasonably good Uh, and he says he's eager to continue his good behavior not good enough okay so i'm guessing he probably had this baby with elizabeth nope oh (laughs) that's that that's that okay um (laughs) good guess though i have no idea where this kid came from oh wait what so you don't know if it wasn't hers well elizabeth depending on which one you're talking about one is with mark and one is with 
Bunting. Yeah. Neither were with Wagner. Oh, fuck. I got <laughs> Wagner and Bunting confused. Yeah, sorry. Okay, Wagner has a baby. He's got a baby. Yeah, no, fuck you. He wants to get out. Yeah, no. You've uh, destroyed so many lives. No. Wagner's application to set a non-parole period and bid for eventual freedom. <gasps> Wagner's application to set a non-parole period and bid for eventual freedom has sparked outrage from the Homicide yes. Victim Support Group. Yes. Group founder Lynette Nietzsche told the advertiser the news will only make it difficult for the victim's relatives and yeah. who will have to relive the trauma of the killings again. Yeah. Mrs. Nietzsche said that she believes the community would expect Justice Martin's sentence to remain in place given the murders were so horrific. Yes. So... Whatever happened to Bunting? They're just all in prison forever? He's got 11 life sentences. He's not getting out. He's Good. got no way to parole out. Yeah. Fuck all so he were them. So they were they were charged with 11 murders. They were not charged with um, Suzanne Allen's murder because Why? it because the coroner could not identify how she died. So, so they couldn't verify that she didn't have a heart attack. But they, they cut her off! They did charge him with, like, concealing her body and, like... Collecting her pension and stuff. Uh-huh. I just feel like chances are, Chances you know? are. <laughs> chances are. You cut up her body and try and hide it, you probably murdered her. Chances are. Chances are. Good. Wow. Have you heard about that? No. <laughs> Can you remember any of it? No. <laughs> I do not remember a thing. I'm sorry, that was so convoluted. Can you imagine being the attorney, like the prosecutor, and for the jury? What about Elizabeth? Wrong Elizabeth! God damn it! Try to keep this straight. It was so difficult. Uh I spent like three days trying to figure out who it was, and even in recording, I had to oopsie because I forgot... Well, and I, like, mixed you up, too, a few times. But I'm just, like, I just feel like that's why it took, like, 11 months. Because they had to take, like, full days to be like, okay, can you draw out, like, well, that's who these 11... people are and how they're related? Well, yeah, that's 12 different murders that they had to it, it go through great detail about. To prove that it happened. And how they were connected yeah. and everything. Yeah. And then prove that they all you were involved. You know what? They yep. needed the wool on the they wall and the pictures and names. Their rock spider wall. Yeah. Is that a derogatory term? I don't Maybe know. Maybe I shouldn't say it so much. Yeah, I don't... Well, they said it in the... It's just because rock lobster. Rock lobster. That's why it's fun to say. Um, so... What, derogatory towards pedophiles? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad a scrambled egg toss salad scrambled egg fuck let's go with bunting bunting the main main dude yeah i'm gonna say a toss salad because i feel like he knew what he was doing was wrong but he was like clearly out of his mind Mm -hmm. because he was like super sadistic clearly had like antisocial personality disorder psychopathic but he was able to run a whole group of guys he manipulated everyone. Manipulate everyone and uh-huh. into believing that he knew who pedophiles were. Yeah. Like, he kind of made them believe that he had this special power that basically mm. anyone that he saw, he could see, like, pedophiles would glow to him or something. There was, like, something special oh, about them. God. So that he knew, like, oh, that's a pedophile, even oh, if they don't God. tell you. Like. This guy was just pure evil. Pure evil. We didn't have, like, a toss out scrambled egg 
pure evil. Well, category piece of shit. Yeah, I think that Wagner and um, the kid, Wagner stepson. Yes, and the son. I think that they were both put through years of mental and emotional abuse and physical abuse. Yes, from their family, friends, and all that. And I don't think I think that they were following bunting and not making up their own decisions because he had manipulated them oh geez yeah i just feel like look you both are so noisy i do so wagner was the one who was groomed by barry yeah yeah i do feel bad at the same time it's like he's an adult making his like i mean yeah he was torturing and having a great time committing all these things no excuse even if you think that they're a pedophile and you're trying to, like, get revenge, but... Well, yeah, but that's exactly what you said earlier. This is why vigilanteism is, like, you're not supposed to do that because how can you tell? Well, especially when this dude is, like, apparently seeing glowing pedophiles and clearly is just <laughs> taking people with, like, mental, like, issues, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just all awful. They're just all awful. They're awful. They can't... Like, okay, look, Wagner... He saw another kid being abused by Barry, mm-hmm. and the same thing is happening to him, and instead of, like, reaching out and helping him, he just, like, participates in it, murdering him. And well, it's also the whole thing of, like, normalizing, where it's, like, he was groomed at such a young age, and then he just sees Barry is, like, constant. And, like, Barry hung out with them and stuff. Like, it seemed like they all got along just fine. the other pedophiles, quote-unquote. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Ew. Ugh. <laughs> Awful. It's disgusting. Super gross. And now for the portion that we like to call Crimey Sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Alright, you ready for some Crimey Sakes after this fucking convoluted shit? Oh god, shit? we need it. We gotta keep just it make sh- them like funny. Okay, well, I want to start this one because this one was not planned, but I found this article today just because um, last episode when you were commenting uh, silicone breasts and like, <gasps> yeah. you know, possible Also, I deaths. just want to say like, not I didn't mean to shame anyone who has implants. Like if that's no, but you were concerned you want, about. I was just saying like let's embrace our bodies. But if that's something that makes you feel good about your body, like yeah, obviously go for it. Good for you, you know. But you were just concerned about the silicone being something poisonous, yes. right? Yes. So I just so. found this article on CNN.com, and it says, "Oh no, I'm just gonna read it." Okay. A woman who survived a close range gunshot wound to the <gasps> chest was saved oh because god. of her silicone breast <gasps> implants, doctors oh believe. Oh my god, I take it back. What? We should all get them. They're life-saving. <laughs> what? In a case study published to the Sage Medical Journal last week, doctors described how a silicone breast implant deflected a bullet away deflected? From, from a 30-year-old woman's vital organs. Oh, my God. The incident, which took place in 2018 in Toronto, Canada, is one of only a handful of instances recorded in medical literature where a breast implant played a role in saving a patient's life. A handful, so there are others. Yes. <gasps> wow. And this is the first recorded incident's instance of a silicone implant doing so 
So it's the she first got time shot recording. right in the boob. Wow. Let's think twice. Wow. That is amazing. Ow. I take it all back. Saved by an implant. Saved by the boob. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I got this from, I got this from a website called soyummy.com. Oh. <laughs> okay. Jonathan Harrington, a student at the University of Miami, thought he'd have a bit of fun with administration who came to search the college dorms, as, a, as is commonplace throughout the year. The students are notified ahead of time, so they have opportunity to clean up their act before school officials arrive. However, Harrington thought he'd do the complete opposite on purpose. When inspectors arrived to Harrington's, <laughs> to Harrington's dorm in 2015, they found lines of white powder rolled, <laughs> rolled up dollar bills left out on his desk. Harrington had staged the scene with powdered sugar to make it look like he casually left his cocaine out in the open. Oops, my bad. <laughs> but what was intended as a practical joke ended with Harrington in prison, charged with felony cocaine possession. Oh! They didn't taste it? The powder initially tested positive for cocaine. What? But after the crime lab retested the substance, they realized it had just, that it was just powdered sugar and the charges against Harrington were dropped. Well, they clearly didn't gum it to try it out. <laughs> no. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Mm. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for yeah. tuning in to Crime and Eat. Thanks. Um, also, rate, review, subscribe. Subscribe. Rate, review, subscribe. But only if it's like nice stuff, please. I have a very delicate uh, <laughs> sense of self. <laughs> uh, email us at crimeanypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, Instagram. Che- check us out on Instagram at crimeanypodcast. And be safe out there and don't kill people. Yes, no vigilanteism, please and thank you. And also... Make sure that your powdered sugar is actually powdered sugar and not cocaine. Gum it first. Hummelbeerable.com. <laughs>